0: the coconuts. What? The pods and the casts. Ha! That, that, did I do it right?
1: Yeah, I think that works. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great.
0: Thank you. Wow. Good job by me.
1: Perfect. I was going to, th- they're the three times, they're two times they say. Because I always used to mess up the line, of course. I would say consider the coconut, consider its leaves. And then people would correct me.
0: I, I think this was my fault. I think I am the one who transposed the line in my head somehow and you, then I would, I would say it. And I think I planted it in your head. I think it's some weird...
2: Wait, but what is it really?
0: Okay, so the first time it's consider the coconut, the what?
1: Consider its tree. And then the second time it's consider the coconuts, the trunks and the leaves. So we were mashing the second lines together. Hmm. Consider its leaves. We, we, we took every part of what we were saying was correct.
0: And you do have to consider it.
1: We weren't wrong. You should consider its leaves.
0: It's that thing where I got a little disappointed to remember the real line because I was I thought it was funnier that he goes right to the leaves. Like because it seems like a sort of weird thing to be like, consider its leaves, man. Like, you know, that's the thing. I think that's why we transpose
1: it because it was funnier to us.
0: (laughs) But obviously it's great no matter what. And you do have to consider the coconut, obviously.
1: You know what? I mean, the consider the coconut, I feel like, has been a key bit on this show for for so long, for the majority of its run. That when we decided to do Musker Clements, it didn't even register for me. Oh, we're finally going to consider the coconut. I wasn't even thinking about how much this is the realization of a, a, a long-held promise to our listeners. That someday we would, in fact, consider the coconut long form on this podcast. And what is this podcast, Dan?
0: It's blank check. Wow, I'm saying the name.
1: With, with whom?
0: Griffin and David.
1: And what's it about?
0: Uh, wait, I have to do the spiel? Let's see if you can. Uh, uh, okay, um Wow It is crazy that I am freezing up right now Not remembering what this, the spiel of our podcast is
1: Oh, so suddenly It doesn't look so easy to be Griffin, does it?
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't I'm so, uh, uh, okay, um It's a podcast about filmographies Correct Uh, directors who get uh, a series of blank checks Um, ha! for crazy passion projects See, I'm already messing up Go on, you're correct, go on Oh, okay, okay, okay um, and sometimes they clear and sometimes they bounce, baby.
1: Great. And this is a maesters on the films of Musker Clements. You were not quite word perfect, but I'll accept it. I'll give you a 97.
0: Ron, Ron Musker, uh, Ron Clements and John Musker. Another, another pair that I transpose the names of a lot of the time.
1: I was going to say, I, I'm sure you've noticed. I just don't even say their first names anymore in the intro because I'm convinced I'm going to macquarie macquarie it up every single time. But it, it is the, uh, the films of Musker and Clements. Ron Musker, John Clements.
0: Ron Clements, John Musker.
1: See, I can't do, I don't even... I, I resent trying.
0: Yes. I regret
1: and resent myself. And I recuse myself from this podcast. It is a miniseries called The Pottle Murcast. That's right.
0: This is the final episode.
1: And it, today we're talking about their final film. They have now retired. From Disney, at least. Rumors abound that perhaps... One of them is working independently on his own project outside of the studio system. But it sounds like a little thing, right? We were talking about that the other day.
0: He's uh, apparently, let me let me triple check this. But yeah, it's, um, I think it's John Musker is hand drawing a short film by himself. That seems like, it's like when your dad retires and then he like works on a car engine or something. You know what I mean? Like it sounds like just kind of like a fun retirement project. So... Anyway,
1: it feels like him doing what George Lucas has always promised to do.
0: Yeah, where he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just make weird short movies about cars. Yeah, no one will know. Yeah, no one.
1: Right. And maybe I won't even show them to people. Yeah,
0: right. Well, maybe he is doing that.
1: But that's not what this is about. Okay, we're talking Moana. We're considering The Coconut, their final film. Maybe their best.
0: Wow. You think it's their best film?
1: I was debating it while watching it. I was debating it while watching it. Because I feel pretty, like it's pretty good. Look, that is this is rarely a claim we get to make on this podcast and rarely a claim we get even close to considering on this podcast. Right. We have we have covered very few complete filmographies.
0: Yeah. Only a couple. Right.
1: And by and large, the last film is not their best.
0: By and large, as a rule, filmmakers do not make their best movies at the end of their career. Yeah.
1: Right. In general, even outside of this podcast. Yes. Yes. And if this is not their best film, it is at least arguable. It's at least in the
0: conversation. Sure. Okay. Right? I, they made The Little Mermaid and Aladdin, but yes, I, I know what you're saying. Yes. I just
1: don't think it's an absurd thing for me to suggest.
0: I don't either. I like As opposed
1: it. to arguing that Ricky and the Flash is better than Silence of the Lambs. This is at least a conversation you could have. Our guest is being so respectful, so polite but she doesn't understand that on this show chaos reigns.
2: I know, but I'm letting you do your thing. I'm letting you do your thing until I can erupt. Okay, oh. alright,
0: well, that's fair enough. Okay.
2: Like Tikka. <laughs> uh
0: from
1: the Atlantic Lenica Cruz, first time on the show.
0: My coworker, my longtime colleague. Uh your coworker but I'm
1: also realizing for the intro, I should have asked what your official title is within the BTS army these days. Do you have a rank?
2: I am just, just a one of many, one of many okay. millions. Okay. Yes. <laughs> a mere foot soldier.
1: Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited. And when David asked me at the end of last year to be on this, I was like, oh, finally, I have something to look forward to in 2021. Like, I had nothing. I was like, I just need <laughs> something to pull me over the edge of this this year and into the next one. So here we are.
1: Uh, I hear that loud and clear. I feel like so much of of things to look forward to for me now are just like, oh, I'm going to uh, withhold. I'm going to not watch Moana for four months so that when I watch it, when it's time for the episode, it will feel really good.
0: It'll hit different.
2: Did you watch it tonight?
1: I did. Yeah. Mm. But this is a
2: movie I throw on. A lot
1: like this is David, you were talking about how you'll just kind of throw on Princess and the Frog as a bomb. It's one you'll like flip on a lot. This is a movie where even if I'm just like tired, and I'm like, let me watch just like 20 minutes of Moana until I fall asleep. Let me just watch these sequences. Let me watch the whole thing.
0: Right. I watch a lot of the, the, the songs. I, I do do that. I haven't watched the movie in total in a couple years.
1: I do both. I, I jump around. I watch specific scenes. I'll watch just the beginning. I'll watch the whole thing. I listen to the soundtrack. It's a movie I find very uh, relaxing and soothing.
0: How's the pain over here?
2: I'll jump around. I feel like I trust your claim then that it's maybe the best of their filmography if you've seen it so many times.
1: I don't think it's a movie. Like I don't think it's a perfect film. There, There are minor issues I have with it, but I also think it's like, I mean, I guess jumping into the deep end here but but the, the, I got DM, uh you know I've been poorly managing the social media uh channels for <laughs> point check
0: while we you've been doing all right i'm kind of i i'm enjoying it i i
1: just i resent every time I have to log on to any form of social media. It stresses me out i I'm trying to push away from all of it uh and then to whoever uh ultimately we we hire to do that, I'll be much better at it than I am but um uh, someone DM'd us and said like, so let me get this straight. Griffin likes Tenet because the rules don't make any sense and doesn't like Wonder Woman 1984 because the rules don't make any sense. And I okay. wanted to just respond yes, correct.
0: Oh, okay. You, wait, this is just, okay, okay.
1: Right, someone, some listener, right? Who I, I we never interacted with. I, I I don't believe I've ever interacted with before online sent that DM and I didn't respond. But in my head, I was like, Yes, I do defend that because I think part of at least what we try to do on this show and not, I I certainly think I fail sometimes I get caught in traps of shit, but like you want to judge a movie by what it's trying to be, right? Movies exist, you know, they can be judged on different criteria based on the relative terms of what type of film they're trying to be and how well they work in that regard. There's no overall rules of all good
0: movies need to be this. This is a central tenet of film criticism, in my opinion. You don't want to be like, I have an objective formula that I can plug any movie into. And if it fails, you know, then like my tests, then yeah, no, yeah that's silly.
1: Yeah, it's a, right. And sometimes I get, you know, I fall prey to like, oh, man, I'm really into this idea of what the movie could be instead. But I feel like very often when I throw out alternative ideas, they were like, this feels like a cleaner execution of what they're trying to do. That having said, I realized after we recorded our flight episode, oh, every complaint I made about flight is just that it's not Sully. Right. Well. Truly, every complaint was just this isn't Sully, which is not fair because there's only one movie in history that's Sully. But this is a film for me where I like everything it's trying to do so goddamn much that it's it's failings for me, which are very slight. I am more willing to forgive because I think they come so close to executing something that feels a lot more narratively ambitious than most films of its itself.
0: Lenica, I know you like this movie a lot because you used to tweet about it a lot. Did I? Or maybe you still do. Well, I I remember I remember you tweeting about it, or maybe you were talking to me. I cannot remember why.
2: I was. I feel like I t- tweeted about it a lot when it came out because I watched it a bunch, and it was just like I don't know. Had a lot of personal meaning for me that year, and just seeing like I don't know Polynesian culture and just all of that stuff. Um, and so I worried that I was blinded, but like literally the first time I saw the movie, I was like crying for the first 10 to 15 minutes and I was like I don't even know what happened like there are two songs that are happening already so I needed to go back um but rewatching it like all the all the emotional beats that hit so hard the first time I watched it had the same power yeah like every time I'm just like the tears are being squeezed from my eyes this movie just
1: hits for me like I just think like, the highs of it are so goddamn high and when it's when it's really trucking it's like it feels just like a static you know in its it's like and it's emotions and it's coming it does yeah it has true transcendent yeah. moments what were you about to say david
0: well i was i mean i feel like we've talked about this on the show and we have as as people have fans have noted we've talked about this month in movies a weird amount yeah not for any intentional reason but we've talked about movies that came out in november 2016 Mm-hmm. Uh, Allied, Doctor Strange, I think. Uh, what mm-hmm. was another one? Um, Griff, the, uh L, the uh, the yes. Verhoeven movie was was Billy Lynn sixteen or was that seventeen? Wasn't Billy Lynn a summer movie? No, you're right. No, no. Billy Lynn. That's another one. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Billy Lynn, November twenty, November eighteenth, twenty sixteen. As yeah, well, this yes, month so.
1: was just and and as you've talked about many times, like it's hard to really accurately judge your or 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 stick with your first blush opinions of movies you saw in november 2016 right after the election Mm
0: -hmm. right that's you know uh, this is what we've talked about this is a movie i saw a day or two after uh the 2016 election and i remember just not being in the mood for a disney movie um which is rude of me i think actually i don't know why i was being such a big baby
2: i know why (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, I don't think I like ever put my like thoughts down on paper about it But I remember my takeaway being like Oh it's good like Yeah uh, I, it, it peaks early to I think Like I, it's the best two songs are at the start You know and then like But like my take being like yeah it's good I, I I liked it you know Yeah you were like it's nice it's cute It's not like great but it's good And um, then I remember like a year or two later Like a lot of my friends who have kids mm-hmm. Really like this movie Yeah I think because it is free of Disney princess fraught things that they worry about. And, you know, the new parents, I guess, are like, oh, you know, what should I be showing my kid first? Like, you know, so maybe I think that's a part of it. But also, it's just a very enchanting and pretty movie that their kids really respond to. So I just remember talking to someone who's like, you know, what's really good is Moana. Like, Moana's great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Moana. Yeah, Moana was good. And I like, and then I went back to it and I was like, this is like way better than I remember. This is way. Yeah. Uh And that's probably the first time that I considered that Ron Clements and John Musker had made it, you know, more serious, right. Where I was like, Oh, well, these guys kind of are the master of the, the, the modern Disney musical. Like, so maybe like that's, that's part of what I'm liking about it. But no, anyway, that's just, it's a boring arc. But, and and then like I watched it tonight and I was just like sobbing. Just, just a mess.
1: Yeah, I do. I do think, That's a thing, too, of just like uh, friends who have become parents who have kids. This movie kind of with that age group is almost on equal footing with Frozen. Even if Frozen Mm -hmm. feels like more of a cultural juggernaut, you talk to young parents with young kids and they're like, it's just Moana and Frozen. Like those are the two. And they're the two that are in constant rotation. They're the two where the songs are being sung constantly and those parents are also like Moana's a lot better than Frozen. Like from the people who have had to watch this movie 40 times.
0: That was exactly it. They were like, "Look, I've right, I'm in the trenches right now. My kids want to watch five movies total, and Moana is the one that holds up the best. That's the one that like is the most rewarding on repeat viewing."
1: And in a lot of ways feels the most
0: uh, uh sophisticated and nuanced
1: for me in how it avoids a lot of those trappings that you're talking about. And still creates a story that is able to hit the same sort of dramatic highs, build to the same comedy, the same tension, the same emotion, uh, without relying on a lot of those old tricks. And a part of it is for me, it's the thing I really like about this movie above all else. And David, you were talking about this in the... Princess and the Frog episode, how they've been like working so hard to try to redefine the Disney princess, right? Right. And make these films a romantic and make the characters more sort of empowered, strong headed and what have you. Uh, to sort of redefine the, the young, you know. Yeah, to make uh, the
0: reward not marriage, uh, you know, uh, is sort of the big thing, yeah.
1: But also you look at like reviews of when Aladdin came out and when Beauty and the Beast came out and they're like, finally, like a, a strong-minded, independent female character at one of these Disney movies. She's not wishy-washy. She's not like Cinderella, you know? And then you watch those films and they feel very retrograde in a lot of ways. And uh, you know, there's this constant thing we've talked about where Disney is constantly trying to be like, no, no, we're woke, we're woke, we're woke. Like we're constantly trying to be better than we were the last movie. And and part of that is just because these movies hold so much cultural weight; they do like shape young minds. That I think they're constantly being judged more and more harshly as to what those uh, stereotypes and archetypes are that they're perpetuating. Um, this one for me is like such an interesting arc because it really is just about. Uh, She's right the whole movie, right? Like, she doesn't have a giant character flaw. There's not a lesson she needs to learn. The conflict of this movie is her understanding how to be a person. It's not ideologically she has the wrong approach. You know, it's not that she has a belief that is wrongly held that she needs to be disabused of. It is that, like, she understands the weight of the fact that she's going to have to be a leader someday, which is something the princess movies never really take into account. Right? Right. Mm -hmm anything less than that sort of being a ceremonial title that grants them a bunch of nice dresses and shit. That she's like, I. there are a people that I am responsible for taking care of. And she views, I think in the way a lot of us uh, do, uh, Ben was just talking about this right before we recorded, but you get to a certain age and you start to reckon with your parents and you're like, what did they do wrong? And what did they do right? And how do I wanna be better than them, right? And she's starting to become conscious of the fact that someday this is gonna be Hers. It's not her dad's, and she has to make the decisions. He disagrees, and she's like, "I'm going to break the rules because I think this is right. It's not for selfish reasons. I think this needs to be done." And the movie is her dealing with how difficult it is to be an adult. It it's just her like trial and error figuring out how to do the things she wants to do and how to shoulder that responsibility. That's a like a a pretty heavy thing to make a children's film about.
3: Yeah, and to add to that, I mean Griffin. I feel like this has come up on the podcast before. You grew up in New York City. I did. Yes, I grew up in New York City. Yes, yeah.
1: So I, I grew up
3: on an island. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you have a lot of experience with this movie and what we're talking about.
1: I, look, I got island time running through my blood at all times. Yeah, I get this movie. It speaks to me. It calls me.
3: Yeah. Uh, but it made me think of like also sort of like leaving behind your hometown and striking out on your own to forge your like your own self, right?
0: Uh, see, this is why you like Kiki's Delivery Service too, Ben. You yes. like any movie about like trying to, you know, get out right and go and make it somewhere, and like you know, it's hard and all that. This, this is yep. like a
1: true coming of age movie, but wrapped up in an adventure film. And I was watching it, and I was like, "What other movies have a lead character arc like this?" And it really kind of is like Luke Skywalker. You know, Luke Skywalker doesn't have character flaws.
0: Sure. Y- y- oh. Oh. Sure. Yes. Yes. Luke doesn't. It's true. Yeah.
1: It's the flipper. His dad is also a ruler, but he's the bad ruler, right? But it's this idea of like, who do I want to be in relation to who my parents are? What's out there for me? I want to leave this space I'm in. I want to learn more about the world. He
0: ends up on an island, ironically. He
1: does. And he fundamentally I want to do good. Their moral compass is intact the entire time.
2: Literally from the time she's a baby, like the first thing she does is protect a turtle. Like that and then right after that, that's when the ocean's like, ah oh, yes, come here. You are the chosen one.
0: You're right, because like when I'm watching this movie, the first scene is there's a cute little chubby toddler who's like t- walking around on the beach. I'm like, this is so cute, but like, you're there is actual thematic uh, meaning threaded into this, like that. Right, the ocean is like, yes, here is someone worthy. Right, right. she's
2: choosing between this shiny shell in the water that's attracting her. It's her, it's, you know, it's the appeal that the ocean has, and then the the people back at home that she's trying to look out for, and like those two things kind of come together um but i feel like the first maybe like 15 20 minutes of this movie before she heads out from motunui is like it's so dense which is why when i rewatched it tonight i i had issues when i first watched this like with i felt like the pacing of the the first 15 20 minutes was just so you know there was just so much happening um and i realized like as i was watching it slowly i realized in the, the first sequence where um uh not we know the way um where you are where are we where you are
1: what what we like to call consider the coconut yes
2: yeah consider consider the thank you consider the coconut um i i didn't realize that her you know the little little mona character keeps on like making little sailboats and like i didn't see that because there was so much else going on with the villagers and um and and just like i tried to slow down the, the, the first chunk of that movie but like it's it they get everything in there like you don't need to pay attention to all those little details to know she wants to go into the to the ocean but like it sets up all these conflicts with her. Like, even within that song, she's growing up. She's gone from toddler to teenager. Um, she's being told, like, you're going to be ruling this island. You're going to be responsible for these people's lives. Um, and even within that song, she's like, she's so ambivalent. She, you see her at one point seeing her grandmother, like, by the beach, and she she runs to her at first. And then the second time she's her grandmother, she turns away from her and goes to where the people are. So it's like, she 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 goes through the the, you know, the coming of age, like, cycle in the first, 15 minutes of the movie and then she has another one
0: she's helping the dumb chicken what's the dumb chicken's name hey 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 hey! Hey, hey. right who we stamp? but right yeah but yes it's like she is constantly pulled to the ocean they're always pulling her back but also we're seeing the whole uh ecology of the like we're seeing them farm and we're seeing them make things and we're seeing like how everything works and like it's it's that classic early disney song of like the The work song. They love, a you know, to kick things off with a good work song that kind of, like, uh, establishes a status quo that then can be broken. But it, it's funny that, you know, it's impressive to mix that in with, like, all this little detail about Moana.
1: Yeah, and there's, like, a thing, you know, I think that there's the prologue in Tangled where you see her as a little girl, uh, and they sold so much fucking merchandise of toddler Rapunzel that I, I think they've said as much that it was like a decree, like every one of these movies needs to open with a prologue where the main character is a toddler. They, they just they double merchandise sales if they do that.
0: Frozen does that. Right. Moana does that. Wait, there's another of Of course, of course, Finding Dory. We when, remember when yes. Dory is a little a little fish.
1: We stand. But yes, as you said, the, I mean, it's it's those three, but it's the three modern princess movies have all done that. And even, I mean, Tiana does that. Princess and the Frog does that.
0: Tiana is a little baby. Yep. Um, uh, talking to her dad. Uh, I feel like I'm, I still feel like I'm forgetting an obvious one. Well, uh, Zootopia, the little rabbit, is a little kid.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. She's a little bunny. Yeah.
0: And then she's like, I want to be a cop. I wonder how a Zootopia would go right now. If I haven't watched Zootopia in a few years.
1: I rewatched it like uh, maybe six months ago at the time when it felt like it would be the most problematic because I was just like, I'm curious how this holds up. And it's one of those things where when it starts, you're just like, did we really all fall for this? And by the end of the movie, you're like, fuck, it works.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, that's the Disney thing. I mean, obviously.
1: It just it so works on just a basic story level, even if the semiotics of it are a little bit dodgy.
0: Right. Uh, Sorry, but back to Moana. Back to the little Moana.
1: But, no, but yes, to Lenica's point, it's just like uh, the prologue thing is just like at this point a, a corporate mandate, right? That's like part of your budget. You're not going to get the green light and let's, you figure out how to do an opening number with the toddlers so that we can sell those dolls and shit. And the fact that it actually establishes so much, not just in the background, but as you said, Lenica, about the characterization and like the whole thing of being drawn to the water, it feels like, I even think before seeing this movie, I expected it was going to be like a Billy Elliot thing of like, I want to be a sailor. And the dad's like, no, you need to be a princess. And she runs away in like Mm -hmm. rebellion. Right. And it's like, no, she takes to the water because that's the thing she thinks needs to be done to help the people of the island. But also there's this odd nature nurture thing because they talk about how the people of Mata Nui used to be adventurers, used to be sailors. They've repressed that within themselves. And there's something innately just drawing them, like it's they're going against the very temperament of their island and their culture by shutting off this part of themselves.
0: Um, and also just happy that uh that neither of her parents die, because I do feel like there's so many Disney movies propelled by that by parent yeah. peril.
2: But, but grandma, just grandma peril, yeah.
0: But it's not really peril. She's not in peril. She's just old and you know yeah right you know you know it's a little more serene what's happening with the grandma but it's true there is there is some Mm -hmm. grandma peril you're right you're
2: right she stays there with her you know throughout the whole movie yeah right there's that thing
1: there's the fact that the grandmother kind of feels like she's letting go of her own volition to a certain degree and that she also the grandmother uses her death strategically to give Moana the chance to escape sure
2: She's like, I got you. I'm just going
3: to die. Right. It's not
1: a formative (laughs) trauma moment. It's like, hold on. I'm just going to die quickly. You sneak out the back.
3: I also think, though, that we should say, like, as much as she's, you know, concerned with her people, her grandma represents like independence and going after things that are even bigger than the island. You know, like, I don't know. I just the grandma character that moment. That's when I really start to fall. Oh, oh, yeah.
1: But that gets to, like, I think one of the reasons this movie is so potent with kids, because it is kind of a different story than these films usually tell, which is like, you're a kid, you go like, why are all these adults telling me what to do? I understand. I could do this on my own. Everyone should just let me do what I want to do. And then she goes out and does it, and she isn't proven wrong, but she finds out it's very difficult. It takes a lot of work. And there's something like for a kid, I think it's like a good struggle to watch someone just have to really deal with how do you actually get things done?
3: You learn by doing. And sometimes you, you end up on the right Island. Sometimes
1: you bounce baby, you know?
0: Um, so some context about this movie, uh, Clements and Musker after making the princess and the frog in 2009, wanted to, as I believe we talked about last week, uh, Work, make an adaptation of Terry Pratchett's novel *Mort*, which is about a boy who works for death. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, it's a Discworld book. They could not get the rights. It's too bad. I would love to see it. They, I love that book, and it would be super cool. Uh, so uh, instead, they're they're deterred. So they're like, okay, we need to think of original ideas. Like we we can't get tied into a rights battle or what right you know. So the thing that they pitch to uh, John Lasseter. Lotsa so and Lassiter, the head of Disney at that point, is uh, is a movie about Maui specifically. That I think they were the most interested in the the demigod the whatever they had like re- read up on the, the the mythic figure Maui. That that, that was their original uh, way into the movie.
1: Was it was it Clements? I mean, he got into Polynesian mythology, and it sort of sounds like they wanted to do something like Hercules, but with Maui, do a more straight sort of retelling of the myths.
0: Yes. And then they learned in their I'm reading this off the internet, but uh they learned in their research that the people of Polynesia stopped making long-distance voyages about three thousand years ago. I, I I don't know uh specifically what they were learning here, but you know what, right? Like I guess they, they were like, why was there a transition from uh like seafaring people to more island-based people? Is that does that make sense? Because like, that seems to be the narrative thrust that they have come upon is like. Uh, this seafaring people who have stowed their boats away, right? Like that's that's the big reveal at the end of the first act of Moana. Is you know, they have these boats, and you know that's that's the sort of part of her that she's long sort of wondered, like, why do I want to explore when my dad's always telling me to stay home?
1: Well, that's the other thing. Is they said they just came to the idea that it should be about Maui and the daughter of a chief, which I have to imagine is Disney going, you have to put a princess in
0: this. But, uh, but the other thing I should mention is that Taiko Waititi wrote the original screenplay yeah. for the film mm-hmm. and then dropped out to, because he had a kid and he was making what to do in the shadows, what we do in the shadows. And he says he has nothing to do with the movie as is. Uh, that it was a family movie. It was like about a girl.
2: Yeah, they were like, rewrote it. Yeah, they, yeah.
0: Right, it was like a girl with six brothers and I think it was going to be more family oriented, I don't know.
2: He has some
1: like special thanks or additional story material credit, but this is also a movie where there's only one credited screenwriter but like seven story by credits. It feels like it just went through a bunch of different drafts and different takes and different angles and different writers.
0: Jared Bush, that's the final credit.
1: Right, who's now just sort of like a Disney He's in-house one of their guys. guy. Right, he had like five sitcom credits before this, and and pretty like uh, you know, uh, uh, Baby Bob, the the sitcom that was about the E Trade baby. It was like shit like that, and then he did like this. He, uh, I think, Big Hero Six and uh, Zootopia. Like, he's just a Disney story trust guy
0: now. Uh, yes, he is. Yes. Anyway, uh, so that that's all I really know. I mean, I the only thing I'm interested by that I don't know much about is and and. Like we've been, you know, a lot of these movies that Clements and Musker made, and we've been talking about this the entire time, like Aladdin, Princess and the Frog, and then there's other Disney movies. Like, there's always the anecdote that they like went to the place that the movie is set in. Like, we we spent two weeks in in China for Mulan. It's always two weeks. Trust us, we did our work. So apparently they 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 went all you know they went to Fiji they went to Samoa they went to Tahiti I don't I don't know much about their research trips or whatever it does seem a little more in depth than the usual Disney vacation
2: it seems like they put more yeah it seems like they took this one more seriously like i know that they created i think they called it like the Oceanic Trust and they had anthropologists and linguists right the the
0: Oceanic Story Trust that's right yes,
2: yes yes and and just you know i think had a lot of notes from Locals and historians who knew what they were talking about and like rewrote whole chunks. Uh, like, you know, Maui was supposed to be bald and short or something. Like, I know people complained about how he was designed in the end, but just little things like that, um, that most audiences wouldn't notice um, that they've for some reason wanted, you know, that they wanted fidelity for.
0: Were the complaints about his final design that he sort of is, he resembles Dwayne Johnson, that he's sort of like gigantically. Big because I do see like most of the it's,
1: it's the chunkiness
2: right
0: right most of the art of Maui he's more of just a regular man like yeah. right
2: I think it's that he's like a stereotype and was you know designed to just be like very heavy
0: right 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 I mean I do I feel like that's partly the dwayne Johnson thing that's sort of sort of you know sad reality of modern animation where like they celebrityify things a little bit more you mm-hmm. know what I mean like the genie doesn't look like Robin Williams, right? But like, right, they they like to slip in a few kind of like, look, you get it? Like, it's The Rock. Like, you love The Rock, right? Here he is, But right? also,
1: like, The Rock is ripped and Maui is a yeah. little more built like a brick wall,
0: you know? Shh, yes, that's true. Yeah, see, it's not like he exactly looks like The Rock at all. Yeah. Uh, the, the eyebrow is the thing that actually is the most egregious.
1: The the face is like, I mean, they they're clearly mimicking his expressions. Like,
2: everything. maybe yeah. they just didn't want... A Maui who is super ripped, with like the exact physique of The Rock, half naked for most of this movie or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's also. I mean, they might have been trying
3: actually to avoid making him look exactly like The Rock. Maybe they're just making more room for tattoos. That's all sure. True. Well, right. Oh, they yes. do have
0: this this very fun idea that his right, like the, the tattoos. Or like visual like stories, you know. yeah, yeah, and, and like, and so yes, he's a big canvas. That makes that makes some sense. Um, I do remember a vague, uh, I vaguely remember right the co- conversation about this when the movie came out because he looks like a rugby player. I mean, he looks. There was
1: conversation about everything, which is unavoidable with these movies, and I think they always try to do this thing where it's like the movie is always announced as we're finally going to make a movie about this culture. But it's not really about that culture. We made up a fake country, a fake city, a fake island. So we're sort of taking elements from mythology, and we took all these research trips, but also it's fictional, so don't get angry at us.
3: We did go for two weeks about, though.
0: <laughs> it looks like this new movie they have, Riot and the Last Dragon, which, like, I hope is good. Like, uh, there's lots to be excited. But that's another one that's set in, like, a mystical... It's, like,
2: Southeast Asia, Yeah.
0: Without anyone actually identifying any place geographically, I and mean, like, I I get that. Look, like, whatever. Like, that's fine. Like, I mean, you know, I, I hope that they tell an exciting and interesting story. But yes, yeah, sometimes you wonder, like, are they just trying to cover their ass in this kind of half-ass, ambiguous way?
1: Well, it's. I think it's also the issue of like, to some degree, they bring this upon themselves because when these movies are announced, that's always the first thing they talk about. Like, they always go like. We got so interested in the history of this culture. We wanted to make a movie about it. We were so respectful. We did so much research. And that's always like the first step they take out, you know, and same with Coco. I mean, it's just like across Disney at large, I feel like they always start the messaging with that because they're such a public relations company. But then they write, they make the expectations so hard on themselves. I'm not saying they deserve more leeway. But it's just like, to a certain degree, the knives are out by the time a first trailer came out. And that's like, we talked about, I mean, Princess and the Frog was like the most sort of stepping on rakes of any of these movies in its launch. This one, I feel like was genuinely, uh, uh, largely positive. But of course, there was like a lot of, you know, uh, uh, pushback on different elements.
0: I do feel like the reaction was broadly positive to this film, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember yeah it was it was
2: all the the little things and like the other thing was like the maui costume with the tattoos and like that was the most that i can remember like i don't i don't think that there was anything very serious like they you know with the casting they they went to such great lengths like you were saying griffin just to to cast mostly like people of polynesian descent or you know and and um just making it as faithful in that way or at least signaling that they were you know that they cared um about like honoring this culture these cultures plural but yeah and even
1: the fact I mean even if the final product doesn't really bear his thumbprints at all the mere fact that they started by going to Taika TT signals a kind of like maybe we shouldn't just guess here you know <laughs> sure. um yeah I mean that we'll get to the shirt because that's the worst merchandise spotlight we'll ever do in the history of this show uh, I feel like the the coconut guys. What are they called? The uh, Kamatoa,
0: Kakamora,
1: Kakamora, I f- Kakamora. I feel like there was some like
0: unease with that, but but right because they're like, quote unquote, like l- pygmies, right? You know, yes. But the, the thing, the thing is, they are also coconut pirates, which is great. You know, like it's it's such a funny animation concept. Like you know, and and like. The minute you see them, you're delighted by it. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think, but yes, I, I remember, right. I, I was, I mean,
1: you know, I, I read up on a bunch of articles and I was trying to find like the most critical ones from the time the film came out just to try to get the perspective as a stupid white person that I don't innately have. Uh, and, and I feel like a lot of the sentiment was like, if you want to do funny little coconut guys, then come up with a new name. But when you're attaching the funny visual of little coconut minions to a name that has a sort of cultural history and one that's a little bit uh, uh, delicate to begin with, it, then it gets messy.
2: Oh, does the, does the name Kakamura have yes. a history it? Okay. I thought they just made that up. Th- that's
1: it. the thing. No, I think Kakamura is specifically tied to a certain type of pygmy legend.
0: Oh, okay. I'm trying to find it because the only problem is you Google Kakamura, you just see. Moana <laughs> the cute little guy um it may just be the name of a tribe i'm not sure if it's specifically attached to like anything but like it, they may have used a real word um uh because it sounds like coconut right like later i mean anyway um right i do remember the the Kakamora coming under some but, can, yes by by the standards of some of these disney projects that I would say often feel like they're just kind of blundering for it. And by the standards of this miniseries that we've done, when you think about Aladdin with its like all white cast and its, you know, myriad just completely like blithe ignorance, you know, right, like, you know, to, to the offensiveness of its, uh, how it's portraying people and, you know, how it's singing about them, like to this and to think that they were made by the same person in my lifetime is, is kind of crazy. They just the arc of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this movie. I, I was like looking at IMDb. It has like less than ten speaking roles. It's one of those things you don't really realize until you step out of. Just like this movie has a very contained cast, and half the characters don't talk.
0: I think that's why I was initially underwhelmed because, right, once she leaves, there's really just her and Maui, and then you meet uh, the crab, uh, uh, Tamatoa. But that's it. You know, the villain obviously doesn't speak like, quote unquote, villain, like barely a villain, obviously. And the chicken doesn't speak, except he clucks, and he is voiced by Alan Tudyk, of course.
1: Right. And and the crab and the chicken are the only two white voice actors in the whole movie.
0: <laughs> that's true. Um, and that's and that's it. And like, I think that may have been one, like, probably unfairly one reason I was sort of like, yeah, well, you know, it kind of tapers off because then she's just, you know, on a voyage. But the the solitude is interesting you know, in retrospect, like that's that's sort of a curveball for a movie like this.
1: Lenica, I'm curious because you were talking about seeing this for the first time and being overcome with the emotions from the get-go. What is sort of I mean you are you are Polynesian?
2: So I am like Pacific Islander, um, yeah, like you know from from Guam, like I grew up in I spent time in Hawaii, like I have family who are Samoan, and uh, you know just. Uh, when I saw that, I mean, so much of this, like, I, I realized that even though I'm not Polynesian, so like when I first heard the, the 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 first song coming over the, you know, the Disney and then like that, that imagery was like immediately started <laughs> tricking, tricking, because I was like, it sounds, this sounds like, like Chamorro it sounds like a language that I'm familiar with growing up, and I'm hearing it in a Disney movie movies that I just took for granted that I wouldn't see characters who you know looked like me or whatever in that in the very just like simple way um but yeah when I I, when I saw just I was I was like I was floored um just seeing the, the 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 animation and the way that the characters looked and seeing they just looked like my a lot of my family members um so just on on that level I was like not prepared. I guess um and it just it felt that it felt like the the place looked real. It looked like, you know, a place I've I've spent time in growing up and um and so in that way as someone who tends to be skeptical about or cynical about representation stuff, uh, like I it just silenced all of that in my mind for for the whole movie pretty much. Um and my family members too were like we're so excited seeing just like I, when I saw Moana, baby Moana, I thought of my little cousin who was about like Moana's age at the time and looked so much like her. Um, and then I saw the grandma and she looked so much like my step grandma and who had died that year. And so it was just like she looked kind of like her. She kind of talked like her. She kind of sang like her, danced like her. Um, and so, yeah, like I it's hard for me to separate the first time I saw Moana from like all of those that that just hodgepodge of feelings.
0: Had you grown up like a Disney fan, or what? You know, like yeah,
2: I the first the first movie I ever remember seeing was Aladdin, and I watched Aladdin every single day until I got another VHS, which was Pinocchio. Then watched Pinocchio every single day until we got. um, I remember, I like remember we had an order of like VHSs, and Aladdin was the first one, so it was uh, funny that we mentioned you mentioned it earlier, like
0: same director, yeah, uh,
2: and yeah, exactly, Um, and and. Little Mermaid, obviously, like just all these, these Disney movies, but I was just, I was more of an early Disney movie person. So, you know, when you're growing up and you want to dress up as Disney characters, like the closest that I could dress up with was like Pocahontas, which is problematic. And, you know, just like it was Pocahontas and Mulan it was like, oh, these are the closest things to like, people are like, where do you dress up as? It's like, oh, I'm a I'm Mulan. Can't you tell? Cause I'm like Asian <laughs> or, or, you know, Pocahontas cause I'm Brown. Like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and so it was just, like, really cool. I, God, how old, old was I when, when I came out? You know, I was in my late 20s, and I was like, my my little cousins can dress up as a character who actually looked like them. It um, was just, like, <gasps> uh, so emotional.
0: <laughs> it's the most obvious shit in the world, but it is just so insane how much these movies are just, like, the first thing. So many kids in this country and around the world are exposed to, like in terms of a movie, like not in terms of uh, things they see. But
1: But that's also like understandably why, you know, cultural critics take these movies to task because they they do actually change brains. These movies, you know, it's 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 not like arguing over whether or not the (laughs) is going to cause violence. It's it's you know, it's really like these movies do imprint on kids at very early ages and give them ideas of who they are in the world.
0: It's 2021, Griffin. Can we retire the Joker bit? Can we un the Joker bit or whatever? Can the Joker return? You want to retire the being retired? Yeah, can we, can we just talk about the Joker again? Surely he won't come back and cause... It's so dangerous, David. <laughs> it's so dangerous. Lenica, we bleep the, the Joker's name. I'm not, and if we're not retiring no, the bit, I'm not. so sorry, Listen, Ben. It's
3: a post- okay. world. And I think we're okay. We, you know what? We'll bleep that. That's what we'll bleep.
0: We'll bleep that name, right
3: Well fine,
1: we'll bleep him I just, I'm so worried because he is so twisted, this guy And the things that make other people cry, they make him laugh
0: I know, I know, it's terrible But like, I'm just, I just want to go into Do you know
1: what he calls coronavirus?
0: What? What does he call it? The number one
1: comedy in America
0: (laughs) Joker, Got it out I know,
1: I don't like it, that's why I think it should be banned Ricky T he doesn't have boundaries.
0: Yeah, he doesn't have any boundaries. Sometimes he misses. Um,
1: Lenica, Lenica, the thing you were saying about the Pocahontas Halloween costume, it reminded mm-hmm. me, when Pocahontas came out, for whatever reason, all the girls in my grade at school liked Pocahontas's friend more than Pocahontas. There's a character oh, who's at the very beginning who's like, why aren't you marrying
2: Cocoaum? And she looks vaguely
1: like Pocahontas, but her dress is a little different, and she's got bangs.
2: I don't even remember this character.
0: Her her name is Nakoma. 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 N- Nakoma. Nakoma.
2: Wait, so they liked her better so they wanted to dress up as her instead? So several she girls has at bangs? my school. That's why I said she has she has
1: bangs and her dress is a little different, right? Her dress is like a two-piece? Is that what it is maybe?
0: Uh, yeah, she's got yes, yeah, she has a two-piece a two-piece, yes, yeah. Oh, her, I remember her. I
1: think the bangs were a big part of it. She really I think just has like the one scene at the beginning talking about Coco um but uh, several girls in my grade, I'm sure it was one girl started it and the other girls were like, I'm going to do it because I don't want to be left out, bought the Pocahontas costume and modified it <gasps> so that they could say they were not being Pocahontas for Halloween. They were being Nakoma for Halloween.
2: Oh, my God. I didn't I missed this whole discourse. I mean, this was a discourse, I think, limited to fucking
1: five girls (laughs) in my grade and six in first grade or whatever. I'm
2: sure it happened elsewhere. I'm sure this was a thing. I I, I feel bad for ignoring Nakoma. I love the bangs.
0: I want to I want to point out I looked up uh, Nakoma on the Disney Wikipedia. Uh, She is the first human best friend to a Disney princess. That is how sad the life of a Disney princess was until the 90s. Your friend was an animal or like maybe a plant. Like it was, you you got nothing. I guess uh, Sleeping Beauty has some fairies, right? She gets the fairies, but no human peer. I mean,
3: they're talking animals, right, though?
0: I know, but like, what if you want to be like, oh, my legs hurt? You know, you can't talk to a fish about that. Well, I guess I guess Ariel doesn't have legs either, so I take it back. But, you know, in general, um, yes, that's just a funny milestone. No human friends. Even Jasmine doesn't have human friends. She only has a a tiger. A
1: big old tiger and her dad.
0: (laughs) I guess her dad's a friend.
1: Yeah, but that's why uh, Guy Ritchie added Nassim Pedrad in a character that took America by storm.
0: Yes, that's true. I forgot about that. But in, in, you could argue that Jafar is Jasmine's closest human friend. Yeah, by <laughs> default. He's the only other human who's not related to her who lives in the past.
2: He kidnapped her. That's like, you know, that's, that's intimacy.
0: And he's not very nice to her. Yes. Exactly. No, that's the thing. I mean, she fucking hates him. But he is by default. She just wants to talk to another human who's not her dad. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Nakoma. Okay. Yes.
2: Nakoma. We've come a long way from Nakoma. We yes. have.
0: We have come along. Although Moana also is fairly kind of friendless. She's got, I mean, there are the kids. There are other people. Um, Yeah. Her best friend, I guess, is a pig.
2: The ocean is a friend of hers.
1: The ocean's a friend. She's friends of all people.
3: Can you imagine? Being friends with the ocean?
2: Yeah. The whole ocean is your friend.
3: High five the ocean, man. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool.
2: You can't drown because the ocean's just like, mm, get out of there. Get out of me.
1: <laughs> I mean, look at David's background. His background is little baby Moana trying to touch the ocean with its...
2: Her oldest friend. Yeah,
1: the abyss tentacle coming out. You could high-five that. Mm-hmm. You could even low-five it. You could too, too slow it.
0: Moana. Uh, I should I should also mention, there is Lilo and Stitch. Uh, D- this is not uh, Disney's first film, uh, you know, like to... In it, the it, Pacific it, Islands. Right, I mean, Lilo and Stitch is, is contemporary, which is really unusual, obviously. Like, that's... That's practically unheard of for Disney. But uh but I am no expert. I haven't seen Lilo and Stitch in so many years. So I can't even talk about I know you love it, Griff. I love it.
2: Lilo and Stitch was a big deal also for me. Because it came out when I was like twelve, I guess, and I just moved to Hawaii. And so it was like, oh shit. Like Lilo and Stitch was everywhere. It was like they got the pigeon down, they have like everything. Mm -hmm. Um but I also haven't seen it in a long time.
1: So. I, I think that movie is uh, perfect. I watch it a lot. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what you think of it today, Lanika. I do think that movie is so interesting because it like slipped through the cracks. I spoke erroneously in a previous episode saying that I thought it was animated in Hawaii, which was clearly just me conflating where it's set with where it was made. But the thing I knew was that it wasn't done by the main animation studio. And what it was, it was... uh. They built an animation studio at Disney World in Orlando, mostly so that doing tours of it would be an attraction for people going to the theme park. And I think only three movies were ever produced there. And it was like Goofy movie, Lilo and Stitch. And I think Mulan was the only like main one. Uh, And Lilo and Stitch was sort of supposed to be like a movie to let them do. So there was a reason to keep those studios open. And it was a rare year where there were two Disney animated films because it was the same year as Treasure Planet. And that movie is a much smaller story. It's contemporary. It's a lot more psychological, uh, which means I think it wasn't. Uh, it's
0: not a big, brassy Disney musical that gets folded into their whole princess. Um, right. And it
1: didn't get the same sort of calculations of you need to do this, we have to avoid this. And it does feel like because of that, uh, there was less meddling. And it, I, I don't. It feels uh, more culturally respectful than a lot of them to me
0: sure Uh, but it's also smaller scale like you said
1: right they're not trying to represent everything um but this movie starts out with an entirely serious like dramatic prologue the story being told
0: The, the, the the myth of maui sure
1: right we talked about the way this these movies start and there are a couple different kind of uh starter pack uh openings that they tend to pick from there's the the workers' song, right? Where you have like the guy is picking the ice at the beginning of Frozen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 fathoms below, and and Little the Mermaid, the right. crewman
1: at the beginning of Little Mermaid, and, and right Pocahontas. Yes, you have the uh, a kid gets told a story. This yeah. is this is the legend, and then that's you know this sort of conflates that with the the very dramatic epic backstory mythology opening. Um. But it's the thing, I mean, we, we, of course, when we did our Wonder Woman episode years ago, we uh, talked about how Wonder Woman and Moana have a lot of similarities, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like you drop all the heaviest mythology stuff at the very beginning. You do it in this sort of like cliff notes, sort of hitting the high points in a sort of visual montage kind of way. And then you immediately pull out to little girl Moana. Everyone else is terrified by the story. And, sh- and she's like excited. by it. She,
0: she, 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 she likes it. Yeah. Right. Uh, everyone else is crying. Right.
1: You start considering the coconut. Uh,
0: her dad, played by Tamara Morrison, the great uh, Tamara Morrison, who it uh, does not do the singing, of course, because Christopher Jackson from Hamilton, George yes. Washington, does the singing. But he, he is he is her her dad. I love Tamara Morrison. I feel like I've been sticking up for him a lot lately because of Bob he's Boba Fett. He's Boba Fett uh yeah her her and her dad wants her to be i and we talked about uh where you are we 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 talked about the setup of this move that which is great i i think I yeah. know
1: that's so why i'm trying to just i'm trying to catch this up to uh the, the grandmother I think is like the first major scene we need to talk about
0: mm-hmm. Rachel house
1: Rachel House, who's so fucking good, is always so good, but having watched Soul recently. These are two movies where she arguably gives the standout vocal performance, and they're entirely different performances.
0: Lenica, have you seen Soul yet? Not yet. She's very good in Soul. I'm sorry. She's a, no, it's fine. She's a lot of fun in Soul. She's got a... Oh, man. She's, I mean, Rachel House, obviously, uh, uh, people might also know her from Taika Waititi's movie. She's, in, she's so yes. funny in Hunt for the Wilder People. Unbelievable. Uh, she, she's really, yeah. really fun in Thor Ragnarok. Um, but yes, uh, uh, she's great.
1: But these are like I mean just two really funny full bodied voiceover performances that sound entirely different from each other and different from her normal speaking voice.
0: Yes, absolutely. The I was yeah, she's not uh an old grandma. Like she no. she's she's she gives good grandma in this movie. Yeah. Uh not easy. Yeah, she's she's in her 40s or whatever, but um I love I love the gra- I the, the I want song, you know, um how Far I'll Go, which was the sort of, I, that was like the Oscar nominated song, right? That was the... should
1: um, have fucking won. I cannot it believe. It should have won. City of Stars. Oh my
0: God. I mean, it's this crazy thing because I, the whole year, figured it was going to win. Because I thought that, because it was the year of Hamilton. He
1: had three quarters of the EGOT.
0: Right. It was you know Hamilton was at this like you know deafening cultural moment. Uh Emmanuel Miranda did the music and lyrics for these uh movies along with um oh god uh god let me see. um Opetea Foy I, I I'm probably going to struggle uh pronouncing some of these but it's basically it's 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 a music group called Tivaka is is basically doing um all the music with him. And I just figured like they'll they the Oscars want Lin-Manuel Miranda on the stage. Like, right. Like, don't surely this is that, you know, Mm. but the whole La La Land thing kind of overwhelmed it. I guess they were just like, well, that's the musical. We have to give the musical the best song. Right. Even though City of Stars is this sort of like so fucking boring, you know, kind of forgettable. It's okay Like it's, you know, it's like half a song. La La Land became such
1: a lightning rod and it became like a love it or hate it. You have to defend or you have to attack it movie. And I like La La Land. I yeah. I think it's fine. Like, it's always been a movie where I was just a little underwhelmed by it. But I think it's fine. I have no need to really attack it. I think it's lacking in a lot of ways. But if you're going to give it to a fucking La La Land song over uh, this song.
0: Give it to one of the good ones. Which is so good. Give
2: it to one of the fucking good ones. City Stars is so goddamn boring. <laughs>
0: Lenica, what do you think of La La Land? I don't know. I forget where you landed on La La Land.
2: I loved, loved La La Land. Saw it once in theaters. And I thought it was just like, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. And then I never saw it again. And uh, also felt conflicted by the stuff afterward. Yeah. <laughs> was very happy it lost. Um, so that's, I mean, that's where I was.
0: Well, yeah. Of I, yes, I mean, in retrospect, in retrospect. I, I really like La, La Land. I think it's a great movie. I it's not as good as um I don't you know, I think Moonlight was the incredibly worthy winner. I the more we get away from that insane moment which was obviously just like the most incredible television like it was yeah. so crazy to watch mm-hmm. it. It's it sucks so hard that that happened. I hate that that happened.
2: No, no, no. It was it, it was sad. Yeah. You had to be so gracious, like on stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, right. And it sort of just turned into this whole, right, like weird drama playing out in front of everyone. And again, very dramatic to watch it. Like, I, I'll never forget watching it alone on my couch because Forky had gone to bed. I,
2: was a, I thought it was a joke at first.
0: Yes. Exactly. It was just like, what, like that weird tingly feeling where you're like, is something just going horribly wrong? Like, is yeah. someone being weird?
2: I think I immortalized that on, on Slack, David, because we were both covering it. It was like, I don't know what time it was, midnight or something.
0: Yes. Like For, Forky, uh, my my partner, we call my partner Forky on this podcast, Lenica, um, uh, had gone to bed because it was like, yeah, La La Land's wrapping this up. You know what I mean? Like Emma Stone had won. Damien was. she was like, all right, I'm out of here. And yes, I remember, Lenica, you and I just like screaming at each other, being like, what what is this? Yes. My
1: my best friend and at that time neighbor, Sophie Fader, I knew she wasn't watching the Oscars because she didn't have a TV and it happened. And I called her up and I was like, can I tell you what happened? Because this is going to be the only chance I ever get to tell this to someone who doesn't know and just recounted what had just happened on TV. And she was like, that's the most bizarre sounding thing in the world. I watch it once every two months. And when I put it on, I have to watch it five times in a row. It is just like, it is some like incredible renaissance, like, like portrait, like landscape painting where there's so many little things going on in the background.
0: Dwayne Johnson is like, yeah, he's sitting, Dwayne Johnson is sitting in the front row practically, right? He's one of the, one of the shocked faces that in the, the tableau, right?
1: You just have to rewind it and go like, this time I'm just going to focus on who's sitting in the front row. This time, just the people. on stage. And <laughs> was president by then, yeah. right? Yes. Yes, he was. He'd been sworn in so fucking weird. That was the weirdest thing. I know you and I had talked about it and we were like, to some degree, it's kind of sad because now you just know that's the best thing that will ever happen at the Oscars. Like as dumb Oscar dorks like you and I, I are, David. It's just like, well, that's it. There's never that's never going to be a moment like that ever again. I'm, I've now seen what will be the best moment of my entire lifetime.
0: Yeah, but I also hate it. I wish Moonlight had just won and then they would because the people would have been blown out of their seats by that alone.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I wish would have happened? Yes, what? I wish they had given Best Original Song to City of Stars and Justin Horowitz had gotten out there and gone like, thank you very much, this song. I put my heart and soul into it. And then the ocean rose up into the (laughs) Kodak Theater and plucked the Oscar from his hands and handed it to Lin-Manuel.
3: And then also splashed him.
0: Yeah.
2: Spit in his
1: face. No, that's too
0: much. I... I I just, just yeah, Justin Hurwitz rules. He he, he's the, his first man score is one for the ages.
1: Yeah, and he won the Oscar for that, did he not?
0: For first man?
1: Yeah, did he not?
0: No, I don't think so. Poor first man got you know screwed over because uh, Marco Rubio got mad at it.
1: I know they should have given Justin Hurwitz the Oscar for first man and not for the City of Stars. Didn't he also he won score that same year? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he
0: did. His score is great. It's a great score. I agree. The score is better than City of Stars. City of Stars is a boring song. City of Stars is a, just a dull fucking song. Anyway, we're, we're moving on to the song we're talking about is, is uh, How Far I'll Go.
1: Well, I just, I just want to say, Grandma, Grandma I, I just feel like the combination of the character animation and the vocal performance, it's like the moment this character comes on screen, you're like, I like her. I like her. She's fun. She's got a unique energy. I know everything about her. And it's like a lot of these movies have like the kooky old grandma character, right? Yeah. Fun old lady. Yeah. Right. But it's like,
0: are they insane or are they a genius? Right. And an older person who has almost mystical qualities in their oldness. Like, are they wise or right? Do they have magic powers? Right. She's
2: got this giant back piece. Like she's she's the only one who really understands Moana. But I, I love
1: that she is clearly wise from the get go. Like she is in her own power. She's funky.
3: She's funky as hell, real funky.
1: She likes to color outside the lines, but there's never the thing of just like, oh, this old coot. She's like, people think I'm a coot. I know what's fucking going on.
3: She
2: notices everything. Yeah,
3: dude, I love when she's like, he's my son. I don't have to listen to him. I'm like, yes, hell
2: yeah. <laughs> right? No, you don't. Everything
1: about her is cool,
0: and she calls herself the village crazy lady. Like she's happy to uh, lean into her, um, her status on the island, like when she needs to.
1: But she reveals to Moana, of course, she brings her into the cave. She shows her the ship. She reveals to Moana that that's that's the background of her people, that they were explorers. They used to sail the seas,
0: which I think is great, too. Now, what do you guys think of We Know the Way, uh, which is not sung by a character? It's sung by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Tevaka. Like, you know, they, they, they sort of take over. And it's but it just, I, I, I talked to a friend who objected to Lin-Manuel's uh, singing. It was just like I wish someone else was singing that song. But um what do you guys think of this song? This song really always gets me. This is the one I weirdly thought was gonna be the biggest song coming out of the screening. I
2: love the song. Yeah, this hook this really hooked me. I I and I like his voice, I can understand the argument against it because he's, you know, he's hes like, he's a rapper. Uh, he's great at writing songs and...
0: He's hes right. He's a fine singer, but he's, that has never been his strong suit, right?
2: His voice is so charming when he sings this, though. When you're singing about these islands, I'm like, I know you feel this, Lin.
1: That's the thing with Lin. He's got a very thin voice, but because he writes the songs himself, he writes songs that fit into his vocal range. And also because he is not naturally like, you know, like an eight octave singer or whatever he does. There is a a very uh, disarming sincerity to his singing because he's working really, really hard and it's really genuine.
0: That is that is absolutely what people love and hate about him. That is exactly it. It's the sincerity, right? That's what drives some people crazy, I think, and obviously connects for so many people because he's it is it is hard to. Overstate how and of course I know listeners remember this it wasn't that long ago But just how inescapable He was like and remember the SNL Episode right around this moment Yeah all that like It's all I mean It it is very difficult to survive Something like that I would say as a famous Person you know what I mean like just the the, the Complete overexposure Everyone seeing and weighing In on your work you know It's almost good that Hamilton then took years To actually come to the screens, like, because, like, that was the only thing that kind of delayed, you know, uh, the total sort of staggering, conquering force of Hamilton, I guess. But, uh, Jesus.
3: I just saw it for the first time.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's on Disney. Pretty good. Yeah, you enjoyed it. Well, that's great.
1: Hamilton's pretty good. It lived up to the hype. But also... The, the sort of like clowning on Lin-Manuel's earnestness, the biting of the lip, all that sort of stuff, I feel like came after this movie. Really, that's when it started to like percolate. People thought the Oscar was going to be the anointment at the end of the year. He didn't win it. But then people still start going like, is there too much of this guy? I think when the movie came out and you hear his voice in this song, it kind of felt like, well, of course. I mean, they're not going to not have him sing. He's got like the best selling album of the year. He's not going to play a character. This is the one place they could fit it in. It's fine. And I think now when you watch it a couple years later, you're like, I can't stop thinking about the fact that it's Lin-Manuel. Like now it's the one element that kind of sticks out of the movie weirdly, even more than the rock of it all. I don't mind it. I like it. I like it. I don't mind it either. I just think that's where people, if they get frustrated by it, it's just like, I'm very much thinking about the fact that Lin-Manuel is singing now. Yes.
0: It depends on what happens this year, but 2021 is kind of the, the next year for him, like this year. This
2: year, he has like four things coming out, right? Or something, or maybe.
0: He does. And I worry, again, that it's weirdly all packed together and people are going to get furious with him because he has Vivo, which is the the Sony movie, right? The, the animated film that he did the music for. Uh, and, and he also has Encanto, which is the, the the Disney movie that he did the music for. And then in the heights, uh supposedly is is definitely hitting this year because Warner Brothers is putting that out, come hell or high water, and tick-tick boom is gonna be on Netflix. It, like, I just wonder. I mean, I he he like he's only directing that, so like it's a little different, but still, like it's it's a lot of him. It's a lot of him. I wonder how it'll go.
1: But I think the songs in this are so great.
0: I love the songs in this. I think it's a great yeah. score. I think that but
2: they're so him, yeah.
0: They are the, the right, the sort of like storytelling element to them like you know the the full sentence you know we are you know like that i i need to like look up the lyrics to do it exactly but like and i also just like the disney tradition of like let's get a big shot let you know like no 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 more messing around and like kind of cheaping it on the songs like who's hot right now on broadway let's bring them in like you know that's what they did with uh the Lopez's as well,
1: right, right. But I was going to say, creatively, it's it's similar to the Ashman thing. You know, the difference is that, like, in between when they hired him for this movie and when it came out, Hamilton happened. You know, they were hiring the In the Heights guy, uh, and that felt like okay, here's a thing that was a Broadway show, but it was kind of a cult Broadway show. Avenue Q was a weird Tony winner. Get people who are kind of at the outskirts of mainstream musical theater, and and have that sort of. Sense of humor, sensibility, um, but he's a good fit. It is just bizarre to think, like, right? This this comes out the year that Hamilton wins opens on Broadway, and... wins the Tonys, obviously. Yeah, it's just so bizarre. Um, I guess it opens in twenty fifteen, whatever it was. But here's the thing I love, and this is why I was talking about the way these movies open generally. It's like this movie gets to open with the serious mythology. Then go on for like 15 minutes. And then this is like a second stealth opening of the movie. Like this is the Virginia Sailing Company song.
0: When she leaves. No,
1: I'm saying when you have the We Know the Way song. Oh,
0: oh I see. Right. That's the sort of the, the this is who we are working song. Like, yeah, right, right. Yes.
1: And because it's almost like a flash sideways. It's like she touches the flame goes up. She's like transported to this like, you know, flashback. It's like she's seeing like, oh, this is the start of my movie. This is like a big, empowering opening number of a film that's now going to inspire me. And then uh, I guess uh, uh, how far I'll go happens in between the two. Right. Between the grandma scene.
0: Yeah. 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 That, that's her. I want song. That's the you know, I want to get out of the into, into the water, even though this island, you know. You I'm know. sorry.
1: It happens afterwards because that's when she sails out. Right. And she comes back.
0: Yeah, well, no, yeah. that's the reprise. The reprise oh, okay. is her sailing out.
1: Yeah, It is just a thing like in the way uh, uh, Christopher Macquarie McQuarrie talks about that, like the whole goal of the Wolf Blitzer thing in Mission Impossible is to make the audience think that they broke in the movie and then revealed they actually were in control of it. When she does the reprise, when she gets out on the ship, when she starts sailing, I remember being like, are they rushing this? Like, it doesn't really feel like she's totally set up where she needs to be to be able to go out
0: in her adventure. To be clear, the reprise is when she gets out. The, right. The first rendition of the song, right, is, is her getting spit back out. Right. Right. That's what
1: I like. I like, I'm sorry, I'm misidentifying the two, but I like that she gets spit out the first time. I like that she tries to do it. The movie tries to convince you that she's ready for the adventure. And it's like, no, because it's setting up the fact that this movie is going to be about Persistence. You know, it is going to be about work ethic in some way. Right. Uh, right. So then she gets spit back out. Grandma gets sick, gives her the out to escape. She does the reprise and actually makes it out into the water. Uh, David, I know we've talked about this in every single episode, how much watching every Musker Clements movie up until this point makes us appreciate, uh, appreciate 2D animation more than ever. And I like CGI more than you do. I feel like you naturally are a little bit more turned off by it than i am you gave it a big thumbs down uh but this movie i think is so beautiful and so much of it for me is just the water animation in this is unreal and you just couldn't do in uh, hand drawn in the same way
0: it's why it's successful i think is the water is how good the water looks and also the fact that the movie's so colorful like unlike frozen where everything is like blues and purples and kind of you know like it's sort of muted weirdly, like you know this way, Like the the costumes are very colorful. The villainous, uh, you know the you know the way the villain looks, the way Ma- you know, I don't know. It's it's just sort of like a more uh, attention grabbing movie for your eyes.
2: Well, she's on the water for like most of the movie. Like once you get away from the colorfulness of the island, it's just like her in the water, and the water has to have all these different personalities. It's like her friend, and then it's you know it's a storm and it's a threat to her, and it's just doing all these things. Um. And then you don't the color doesn't come back until the end, which I will not will not spoil. I'll jump ahead. Fair enough. But it works
1: both as a character and as an environment, because as you said, like most of the movie, she's on the water. I don't like water. Water scares me. I'm only comfortable when it's in my bathroom or in a glass that I'm drinking out of. I don't like pools. I don't like the beach. I don't like the ocean. I don't like being on a boat. I find this movie so relaxing visually. It's like a visual white noise machine just watching the boat ebbing in the water, whether it's at night or during the day, whatever the color is, whether it's a storm or whether it's still. It's a thing that I think Pixar tried to do with Good Dinosaur and failed, which is like, can you have really cartoony characters with certain very realistic physics and elements? And despite the fact that the water sometimes acts like a magical supernatural creature, it also just, in most shots, looks like real water to a degree that is kind of astonishing. It's it's just hyper real enough, but like the fluid simulation is
0: unbelievable in this movie. Lenika, do you play Zelda or are you? Do you just play? Have you just played the new one, the uh, Breath of the Wild?
2: I've just played Breath of the Wild. Yeah.
0: Okay, G- Griffin. I'm assuming like just because there's the Zelda game, the Wind Waker, that's set uh, uh, mostly on like island chains, and a lot of the game is you sailing between islands. You have a little sailboat, um, and so a lot of the game is just going across the water. With, like, nothing happening. Love it. Well, I, love, I love that shit. It always relaxes me. I'm thinking of The Wind Waker, but just basically... Like, I understand the peril will... Yeah, that's fine. Give me peril once in a while. But, like, I also am pretty happy just kind of cruising uh, on, like, a horizon, you know, like, with nothing to think about. And just, like, the sort of soundscape of, of the ocean.
1: I also think that's what I was going to say. This movie has less score than a lot of the Disney musicals. I feel like it's very comfortable like sitting in the silence and just the sound of the waves for long stretches. You know, that's the only thing underscoring their dialogue. But then, yeah, Maui doesn't enter until like 40 minutes into the movie.
2: Yeah, she gets into the storm, right? She leaves, she leaves, she gets into a storm and she's, I think she's like basically trying to feel out the ocean and see how much of a friend it is to her, like, she gets in the storm and she's like can you help me and she just all she does is doesn't drown but like it takes her to where she needs to go and i think it's on that that journey you start hearing a bit of the you're welcome like you know playing as she's approaching maui's island right but yeah it takes it takes forever to get there
1: it's 35 minutes uh yeah we should mention also the other thing is uh uh, of course, the movie sort of sets you up to think that uh, Pua the pig is going to be the main animal sidekick, and it's a fake out. They leave her with the least effective animal <laughs> sidekick in the history of movies.
2: He does one useful thing in the entire movie, right when you most need him to swallow the stone and give it. No, no give it to her. Picks up the stone. Oh, give it, to it her. back. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But Pua's is too scared. Pig. Pig is really cute, but he goes with her like on that first journey where you think she's going to break out, and then. He almost drowns, and then he sees an oar, and he's like, no.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just, I love that misdirect. Like, her taking him the first time makes you think, like, okay, he's going to be the one by her side the entire movie. And instead, it's like, no, the animal sidekick is an impediment. He is a conflict. He is a dilemma.
3: He keeps falling in. He's not really cute. He's dumb.
2: Kind of
1: annoying. Yep. (laughs) They had like drafted him. He was in all the early versions of the script. He was supposed to be talking and his whole character thing was he was supposed to be like very arrogant, like he thought he was an adventurer and he got things wrong. And they realized like, oh, that's a kind of too much like Maui. And they kept on retooling the character over and over again. But they like started animating. They were like doing shit. And it was at the point where they were like, you either have to cut this character or you have to solve it. Because, like, it's go time. Either we're going to remove him entirely from the whole thing or uh, you need to come up with a new take. And they just went like, what if he's just the dumbest character in the history of movies? And he was. (laughs) Right. So it's Alan Tudyk doing the squawks because he was supposed to be the speaking voice for dialogue. And at the last second, they were like, no, he's just really dumb. Are you still on board to just squawk a bunch?
0: Uh, And he is. Because he also, I mean, wait, what's the other thing? Oh, right. Uh, Aladdin, he's Iago, and he yes. just squawks, right? There's no talking. Now he's
1: just becoming a squawker. Um, uh, Maui, obviously, this movie was sold so much on The Rock because he is such a famous person, uh, and he was doing most of the press, and your female lead is an unknown teenager in her first movie role.
0: Who's wonderful. Incredible. I love that she... Seems to be sticking around. Like she's on television. Yeah. She has a what's that show? All Together Now. Uh oh, that was that was the Netflix movie. But no. What was the TV show she was in?
1: She did that Josh Radner NBC show. She's done. Like oh, a Rise. Of
0: yes, that's right. Yes, yes. She
1: she did that Little Mermaid live concert where she kind of killed it.
0: Yeah. You know, these these Disney movies are not quite as craven as like a DreamWorks or whatever in terms of like stuffing the movie with uh big stars. But yes, I mean they're using, they're leveraging Dwayne Johnson's the major image. Yeah.
1: You're making a Polynesian fairy tale. The biggest movie star in the world happens to be Polynesian right now. You're going to send him out there, not just as the face of the movie, but kind of like an ambassador. I just like how much the movie is focused on Moana for the first 35 minutes, aside from the prologue, that when Maui enters, you're like, oh, right, he's part of this movie. Even though that's the thing that they sold me on, you know? that you're really just invested in her and then he comes in as sort of flavor.
0: Once again, I am now quite exhausted by Dwayne Johnson Griffin. I think we have talked about this. His, his star persona has gotten a little relentless feeling, a little flattened, a little samey. Uh, you know, the, the Jumanji sequel, the, the, you know, what's it called? Skyscraper, Wait, wait Hobbs and Shaw, Write These movies that just sort of feel like they're about how awesome Dwayne Johnson is. Once again, funny to consider that when this movie came out, I was like, oh, I I like him. He's great. Sure. You know, I enjoy him. He's in the Fast and Furious movies. Like, you know, I I like this 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 run he's on. I'm having a great time and he's good in this.
1: It also like this was the point in time where he still let directors use him. You know what I'm saying? Like, Muster and Clements are very, very wisely and kind of cleverly using his persona To their advantage. In the same way I would argue Michael Bay did in Pain and Gain. In the same way I would argue Justin Lin initially knew how to do in Fast Five before he probably started arm wrestling control of the movies. The Rock becomes a problem when The Rock feels like he's not just a a color on the palette, that he is Bob Ross. You know, that he everything has to be built in his image.
0: Like what's your? Do you have strong feelings on on the rock on Twain Johnson?
2: I don't, but I was thinking, like, what wasn't he when he was cast for this? He was like really nervous because he hadn't done voice acting,
0: singing. I think singing was his his biggest concern, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And he was just like very, I, I think deferential and just like, oh, did I do a good job? Like that kind of thing with this role.
1: One could argue that's the key to a good dwayne johnson performance is a sense of humility and a sense of deference to the other people working on the film as opposed to posting an 18 paragraph uh instagram caption about why he chose to make rampage uh and explaining the larger points he was trying to make and telling the rampage story and building out the new rampage mythology
0: if you remember rampage is the movie Where there's a, a, it's based on a video game, and it's about a a big gorilla that smashes things up.
2: I remember you wrote a very funny review of it.
0: You've edited so many of my reviews. I always wonder, like, if you if you remember the 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 details of these stupid movies. Uh, Rampage is the movie, of course, where the gorilla gives a finger to the audience. That's like his big joke.
1: Also, uh, two of the things that the uh, big gorilla has to smash are a uh, big crocodile and a big wolf. And of course, the film had the tagline uh, "Big meets bigger," right? And it was because there was The Rock and then a gorilla,
0: right? Okay, yes, yes. Big met big met bigger. Yes,
1: that's the other weird thing. Dwayne Johnson movies started having taglines that didn't reference the movie but referenced Dwayne
0: Johnson, his his his, his imposing image,
1: right. Or or the central intelligence, which is in order to save the day, they're going to need a big heart and a little a little heart and a big
0: Johnson.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Lenica's covering her face and cringing. I'm just remembering the billboards. Yeah,
0: that's the same year as this. That's 2016. That's 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 when it's starting to overtake, I would say a little bit right where it's like he's really just playing Instagram's favorite. Dwayne Johnson in movies versus like playing like a person or even now pull up. Let me
1: tell you a story. My dad once sat me down and gave me a shot to tequila and told me any man in this world has to be able to look a lion in the eye. And that's what inspired me to make my new film Red Notice.
0: <laughs> God, that right, red notice. We're going to have to put up with that this year.
1: We're going to have to get the notice. Oh, God. Um, I just think he's very good in this. I think this is like exactly using all of his best qualities.
2: He and Ali'i have great, such great chemistry, like
0: so yeah, cute. They, they're adorable. It's 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 a familiar Disney uh, dynamic, I suppose. But like, I love it. Like, I, I like these sort of like
2: playfully combative. Yeah,
0: right. They want they're sort of heading in different directions. They figure out how much they, you know, complement each other and how much they're both, you know, care about things. And that's that's the, the sort of respect, you know, an alliance of respect is, is what they're building up to.
1: And that fucking You're Welcome a lot of fun. I mean, it helps that like Lin-Manuel knows how to write for people who have limited singing ranges, but he like gives them a song that he can knock out of the park. And he does. I love that that number goes into the weird like um, sort of like collage cutout art background. Yes. I just get so excited whenever animation
0: uses the uh other kinds of animation.
1: Yeah. It's just like make everything look cool, make everything interesting, experiment,
0: you know? It's it's inventive, it's it's very fun.
1: Oh, right. And then of course there's a whole extended Ben's background is now the tattoo, but that you have like a big part of the dance number is done on his chest. I like that the tattoos are 2D, like you're talking about using other mediums. And I also like that there's this sort of like he's gotten Moana into the whole song and dance number. He's putting Kalaji uh, Lay around her neck. He's singing and dancing
3: so much that she doesn't realize that he's stealing the boat. Right, right. He's
1: like using the song to distract her.
3: The mythology rules, too. It's so cool. I I never had heard any of those legends before. And I think it's like awesome exposure to all of them.
2: And I mean, the way that Maui is introduced in the the prologue, um, it seems like he's like a villain, kind of. You know, he's a shape shifter, he's a trickster, he's a thief. He stole the heart of Tafiti, and now her island is dying. And this is the first time where you're like, okay, yeah, he's a little arrogant, but he seems like he's doing this for people. Like he, you're 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 starting to like reimagine who he might be and like what his role in the story is actually.
1: He's like a high school quarterback who won't stop telling you how good he was in high school. Like that's. Which is endearing. He's arrogant, but it comes from a place of deep insecurity.
0: Exactly. That's the thing his insecurity. Like the idea of a god who is not doing these things benevolently, but is like, come on, like, aren't I great? Come on, don't you like this? Like, is a much more compelling sort of, you know, secondary protagonist, godlike character than someone who is just a big, muscly hero who, you know, we should all root for because he's a big, muscly hero.
1: And You're Welcome is, is funny and catchy, but it also just sets up that character dynamic so well, so quickly. But I don't know if you know this. Moana is a really good kid, and she doesn't give up easily. She gets herself out of that cave. She chases Maui. He tries to throw her into the water, but the water won't fucking let
0: him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> The water is trying to guide them together, as you said, Lenica, right? Like, that's that's the idea here is that that's why he's essentially being released. Um, I, you know, from an animation perspective, I enjoy the physicality of the character. Like, I just I like, you know, how a Disney movie can make a person that looks so ridiculous move so like fluidly, you know, like even though he's.
2: Yeah, he's an expert like wayfinder. Yeah.
0: Um, it just that—that's what I and so the combination of like just the fluidity of how he moves and how he shape shifts and how the water is and like how that's all being, you know, represented in completely different way. I, I, I like all that. I think that's cool.
2: Well, you realize pretty quickly that he's trying to get away because he's afraid. Like. He associates this little this little green stone with losing the hook, and the hook is the thing that he had based his entire identity on. Like he's he's like, who am I if I don't have my hook? I'm not Maui. I'm not a demigod. I don't have any powers. I can't shape shift. I've been on this island for a thousand years. That's it.
1: Uh Yeah, you were talking about uh, the the appeal of uh, Disney animation, David. Because mm-hmm. uh, we, we've talked about some of like the principles of, of Disney character animation and like what the wise old men, the original Disney animators like Ollie Johnson, Frank Thomas created. Um, but I, I want to pull this up because it's, it, it's just like, I, I was thinking about this a lot while watching this movie and how well this movie executes all of these at pretty much every moment. There's sort of what the old Disney animators defined as the 12 principles of character animation. Mm-hmm. And they are, hem hem, squash and stretch, anticipation, staging, straight ahead action and pose to pose, follow through and overlapping action, slow in and slow out, arc, secondary action, timing, exaggeration, solid drawing, and appeal. I'm not going to break all those down. A lot of them are sort of self-evident or they sound like what they are, Um, but it's just a thing. That, like, it just feels like every performance in this movie is detailed and thought through enough that it's really functioning on all those levels at all times. You know?
0: Yes. And the, the intimacy, or intimacy is the wrong word, but the small scale of it almost helps. It's not busy because we have these these sort of small ensemble. We know them all really well by the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah. What were you going to say, Lenica? Sorry.
2: No, I was just thinking, like, once Maui's on that boat, once the two of them are on that boat together, you finally have this, like, this, this, the dynamic, like, the physical dynamic between the two of them of, like, throwing each other off. Like, you know, they have to share this very tiny space for a good chunk of the movie. And so those principles that you were just mentioning, like, become even more, more important. And in, in, I mean, they do have a lot of dialogue, but, like, the way that they move and behave around each other, kind of, like, taking the measure of each other and realizing how similar they actually are um i think all of that like the animation does so much
1: lifting there yeah yeah and there's like they they do that one big montage once he's finally relented and agreed to teach her and you're seeing the evolution of her learning um it's it is so much about the the physicality of the two of them and the weird intimacy of like it's such a small space like you just think about like they're on like a raft in the middle of a giant ocean for days together. Um, you also get a pee-pee joke in there, which is good. Very funny. <laughs> 2 PP
0: jokes.
2: Right. They bring it back. <laughs> yes. At least two.
0: After that is the, the Kakamura scene, right? That's the, the Coconut Pirates. That's like the, the big action scene. I mean, like many a Disney movie, we only have one song left at this point. We're halfway into the movie. The only song left is Shiny. Which is a very fun song that I enjoy. Well,
1: well, but they do two more small. They,
0: they, right. They do yes. reprises, um, but much like Frozen weirdly uh, wrapping up its songs in the middle of the movie and having the troll song be the last song. Like, it's just funny. It, it bums me out. Yes. How they shift to action mode for sort of the, the, the final act of these movies sometimes.
1: I'm just waiting for one of these movies to have the courage to have songs all the way through.
0: Give us an 11 o'clock number, essentially. Right, they
1: do those two echoes with Grandma and and uh, uh, How Far I'll Go Again, uh, which at least makes it feel like music is still in the lifeblood of it. Uh, Shiny is just my absolute jam. Everything about this sequence fucks so hard in my eyes. Uh, I love Tamatoa. I love this performance. I think there's something really simultaneously funny and unnerving about how
0: big he is he's kind of he's 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 kind of spooky and you know? even though he's a, a comic he's terrifying. villain yeah, he's pretty weird <laughs> he's
2: goofy yeah. like you think he's going to be terrifying then he turns out to be goofy then he's actually terrifying when he goes like that glow glow in the dark situation yes.
1: his his blacklight mode but also, like, his head is pure squash and stretch, right? Which is pretty much just like...
0: Right. his eyes move. Right. right.
1: An- animate things like they don't have bones, like they don't have a skull, right? That their physiology can change based on their mood. And his whole face does that. Obviously, his body, his shell, his claws are more rigid, right? But his head is, like, silly putty. And his eyes are spinning all over the place. It's getting longer and flattening out and whatever. But also, there's that weird thing. I don't know what the, the fucking principle of physics is here. But that thing like that that Pacific Rim does well, where like incredibly large objects moving fast would still look slow to us Mm -hmm. because of the perspective of, you know, our range of vision. And there's that thing where he's simultaneously, depending on the shot, moving like very fast or looking like he's moving slow, whether you're seeing it from the perspective of like the God's Eye camera or from Moana or Maui. And there's also just something unnerving about seeing these characters who have been our focal point, the whole movie being that tiny, like just being flung around in his claws. Uh, I just I love I love I love I love this number. I also just love that it completely breaks the style of every other song up until this point. Mm -hmm. Like all the music has been of a piece. And then now you just have this fucking David Bowie number (laughs) with this weird glam crab. Uh, I love it. I love it i just remember giggling like a lunatic seeing this in theaters for the first time
0: shiny is great uh i I like both of these action sequences a lot because they have humor to them you know the, the the coconut pirates and the crab like they have the uh you know moana and maui working together and working at odds at the same time you know like that's a tough dynamic to do without it feeling frustrating like you know, there's only so much we want the two leads to not be friends. Like, we you know, we do. We we want to see how they work together. Mm-hmm. This kind of ex- takes a while for them to do that, but it doesn't ever really feel annoying. Yes. I think I just think that's difficult. Like, that's all. Like, I, I'm just sort of impressed by that.
2: And even from the even from the like the Kakamura to Tamatoa, like first one maui's trying to get he he is not invested in protecting the heart at all he just wants to get the hell away from from them yeah
0: he wants his hook and that's it right yeah
2: right and the second one like she does the diversion and now he's like oh wait did you do you solve the heart so he's like there's already been some growth in that fairly short amount of time
0: uh because she's proving herself too as like a capable and you know dynamic uh person and the first time I saw this movie, I remember just kind of being like, "Oh yeah, there's a lot of action at the end, you know," and like just sort of not being as emotionally connected to it. And I don't understand why, because there is the the, the wonderful scene with the grandma. There's this, you know, her say, singing "I Am Moana." You know, there are all these big sort of soaring moments that totally worked for me this this time. I don't know. I look. I mean, just been elected. Whatever. That's my that's my excuse.
1: Uh, yeah, and also, I mean, th- right, the Krakatoa is like the most conventional sort of manic action sequence, right? Then Tamatoa is like half musical number, half action sequence. And then you have the first failed attempt at, uh, at defeating Tefiti, which is very much like big action epic thing. But the final, the denouement of this movie does become more intimate again. And you have that grandma scene in the middle, you have the sort of Maui heart-to-heart, him leaving... I mean, there there are real emotional beats they go back to the grandma stuff. Just like I remember, I, I saw this. I think the first time with our our friend friend of the show, Rachel Lang and uh, Alex Pitts, and uh, Rachel just started bawling the second the grandmother came back. And I went like, "Why are you crying so much?" She just went, "I'm just so happy she turned into a stingray."
2: I mean, she made good on her promise earlier. Like, what was her her like dying words were. There's nowhere you can go that I won't be with you. And I just every time I'm just like, oh, my God, Grandma Tala, my grandma speaking to me.
1: Right. Because that's the kind of thing a character says. And you're like, okay, that's like a thing she's saying, like, in your heart. Right. And it's like, no, no, no. She's literally saying she'll follow you anywhere. She's a magical stingray lady
2: ghost now. You literally see the lights in the village go out and like her spirit turning into a stingray coming with her when she transforms like after after Moana and Maui have their they're falling out like she thinks she can make it past the barrier islands and and again ends up getting his hook that he had worked so hard to get back like broken he leaves and she's actually like the last thing he says is like you know the ocean shows wrong like you're not the chosen one and this entire time like you I know that she doesn't really grapple with like a major character flaw but if there's one thing that she does like if her coming of age story has some kind of arc it's like going from telling yourself you know you're the chosen one you're going through the motions of being the chosen one because your grandma told you and you know the ocean chose you and you're you're listening to other people telling you who you're supposed to be but she doesn't believe it like you know she's doubting herself and then like I think she goes from being the chosen one to deciding to realizing that she can make a choice like she gives she tells the ocean, like, choose someone else. And the ocean isn't like, no, Moana, you have to go on. It's like, all right. like,
0: right. We'll take the thing. Sure, yeah, yeah.
2: The heart just falls down. Um, And then even the grandma says, like, I, I shouldn't have put so much on you. Like, you can go back home. She gives her an out. It's like, you don't have to do all this. Um, But then, like, right before her oar hits the water, she hesitates. And she realizes, like, you know, and then her ancestors come out and they... Like, she's not alone. It's so beautiful. She's been out on this ocean by herself, with the exception of Maui, just like feeling like she's carrying the weight of all these of of her village. And they are there with her. Like, she knows where she's from. She came from. And so now she knows where she can go. Like, it's beautiful.
0: You need Maui to not be there. It has to be right. Her and her people. Right. Yeah. Not this sort of demigod.
2: Right. Right. It, It. Plays
1: so much better emotionally with her by herself. It also gives Maui the chance to like have his cool fucking
0: Han Solo, I did actually care return. Um, and I do like that anytime he's an animal, it's a chonky animal. I'm sorry. Like, I, I, <laughs> cool I come hair. on. Yeah, you know, I, I enjoy that.
1: The, the bit with where he's the half shark and he doesn't realize it is just funny. It's just funny comedy. Uh No, that incredibly well said, Lanica. I also think that's like another kind of nuanced thing this movie is getting at in terms of it being like, this is a movie about how you figure out how to become a responsible adult, like how you be your own person. Is to some degree, she has to learn that it is good to doubt yourself, right? That so much of this movie has been like, I know I'm right. I have to do this. It doesn't matter what anyone tells me. And that part of the equation is if you don't ever doubt yourself, that's worrying, you know? You should not always believe you're correct. You need to have those questions.
0: You're covering something up or something if you really feel that way. Because like Maui pre- presents himself that way. But then, of course, the big realization is, no, this guy is c- crippled by doubt. Like that's that's why he keeps mm-hmm. doing crazier and crazier things. And that's why it's so good that the arc of this movie yeah, is after uh, she gives the heart of the ocean to, to you know back to Tafiti, is is that. She goes home and her parents are like, we're glad you're home. And it was clearly good for you.
1: Right. There's no scolding.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, clearly, like, I'm glad, like, you 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 look great. The, you, it, clearly,
1: it this was a good you. thing for it you to you. do. It, it
3: suits
0: you. That's,
1: you and know. also, like, you were right. Thanks for saving us. Our coconuts aren't turning into dust anymore. We can once again consider them.
0: <laughs> which is great. Which is great. But that almost feels secondary to, yes, it was scary for you to leave. And that's what I was afraid of. But I, I, I recognize that that was the right thing to do.
1: But yes, the fact that her return is just them running to her with joy, that it's not any like, oh, my God, you know, and there's no scolding or whatever. It's so uh, nice. And it is like it's disarming that final Te sequence. Like I was just still having seen this so many times taken by the imagery of like she is genuinely scary looking. She's a giant volcano lady. And she, we've seen her already like make a, you know, quick, quick business of our heroes the first time. And to see Moana just stand up to her and stand still and hold out a stone. And then that shot where you see them in profile.
0: And, and, and recognize that this is a wounded creature, too. This is someone. Beautiful. Right, yeah.
2: It's so beautiful.
0: Beautiful. But that shot where it's like the two of them in
1: profile, Moana holds out her hand to the bridge of Tafisno. I fucking uh. love
2: it. Just let her come to me and the ocean just parts and it's yeah. it's like it's so fucking badass. It's great.
1: And also to a degree degree, like the thing the the lesson she's learned that helps her defeat her is just like, oh, she understands why people behave certain ways now. She understands that this is a wounded person, that she has to show compassion and not treat her as an enemy.
2: Well, she's forgotten who she is, and it's all about self-knowledge and 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 um, I mean, well, yeah, I'm glad we, we came back to that because like the moment when she stands, she, she you know, Maui has distracted Taka and she's she's cl- she climbs the 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 mountain to put the heart back. And she sees like
0: it's like essentially like a, a, a corpse has been drawn in the ocean, basically. Yeah. Like a chalk outline.
2: Right. Like the image was sort of like reminded me of, you know, that like the nuclear tests they did and the the Marshall Islands like post-world war II. it was like it was it had a bit of that to it and even like the explosion had a kind of like nuclear test feel to it it's
0: spooky yes you yeah, know right she gets knocked down by this right black blast radius yeah
2: right i mean she turns around she realizes and then like holds up the holds up the 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 stone or holds up the heart and it's like she's so brave like you just see she she knows in, in that moment she recognizes she kn- cuz she knows who she is now and she recognizes what it's like for someone else to not know who they are and realizing that Tekka and Tefide are the same the same character was like so powerful um she
1: fucking leads with empathy it's so
2: touching and
1: and seeing the transformation the green cracking through and all of that it's just so beautiful
2: on every level that's the other time the animation like the computer animation just really like it just blows your mind seeing that green burst through.
0: Right. The, the colors. I mean, the way the lava is animated too, much like water, like, you know, just just the sort of it's it. it the intensity is higher in three. That's that's where the CG does is undeniable. Like, even though I do love a hand drawn movie and I'm sure I would have loved this if it was a hand drawn movie. But, you know.
1: Lenica, I have a, a 3D TV. I bought the last model of 3D television before they were discontinued in the United States because I didn't want to miss out on a trend that had clearly already failed. But I watched this movie in 3D. And I do think that, like, this movie is more impressive as a uh, two characters on a boat in the middle of the ocean movie than Life of Pie. Like, this movie does for me what I think a lot of people felt. Like, oh my you won't believe the immersiveness of this. I also just want to point out I uh my 3D glasses that I now use while uh, wearing uh, wearing uh while watching uh, 3D movies at home are uh Anakin Skywalker's Pod Racer Goggles.
0: Wow, did you you got these special?
1: We got these for George Lucas Talk Show, but this is when Phantom Menace was re-released in 3D at the peak of the 3D trend, they thought a new revenue stream was going to be selling premium 3d glasses and uh unsurprisingly you can now get these for a dollar on ebay so i was just
2: sitting there just right there with an arm's reach
1: but i was like watching the movie well because i want to show it to you folks i was watching a movie like this and like (laughs) crying and laughing and then I was like, okay, time to record the podcast. And I go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and I realize I look like this. I'll post the photo. But it's just like, I i forgot while having this very emotional experience that I looked like a young Anakin beating Sebulba in a pod race.
0: Now this is pod racing.
1: Now this is pod racing. Um, but but yeah, she just fucking saves the day.
0: She does. But there's no villain. I mean, I know that the the, the crab is a secondary villain, but like, I think I was sort of taken aback because the, the villain is such a crucial part of these modern Disney movies, like the villain that you sort of root for and has his own song or her own song. You know, like that's that's like part of the fun. And this movie very successfully eschews that. It's you know, also kind of an unusual thing.
1: No, the, the uh, you know, Tamatoa is a temporary conflict in the same way the Krakatoa are, you know? But this movie doesn't have an overarching villain. It doesn't have a love interest. It's an aromantic, relationship between a male character and a female character and it's really just about figuring out who you are and how you function independently out in the world uh which is like a pretty big thing to make a movie about because it's not something that cleanly fits into a a very kind of precise clockwork narrative you know
0: Lenica is there anything we haven't talked about in the movie that you want to talk about before we play the box office game
1: I mean, the end of the movie, you said, David, no more songs, but they do, of course, do a We Know the Way reprise as well.
0: They go back on the ocean. It's wonderful. Uh, I, I'm crying again. You know, like the pig finally gets to be on the water, too, which is a big one. Who is moment.
1: on the water, baby?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because the boats are big. Right. Yeah.
2: Oh, so he deserves it.
0: Um, But yeah, I don't know. You know, yeah. Is there anything we haven't talked? I mean, you know.
2: It's a good movie.
0: It's a good I movie.
2: I love Moana every time I watch it. I'm like, all right, going to have a a couple of cry moments in here. And like it just never the tafiti scene at the end just always like punches me in the face.
1: It's a grandma scene for me. But I also I just the whole time I'm watching it, I think the same thing over and over again, which is just Moana's a really good kid.
2: (laughs) She is good. She loves her family. She loves her people. She like in the end, she doesn't want to she doesn't want to run away from them. She wants to it's it's like you know the song at the beginning is like a very conservative song like we don't leave we don't change anything this is how things are um and like she brings them back to the way things were before that like she helps them return to the traditions that made them who they are like it's such an interest now that we're talking about i'm like okay there's there's all these layers in terms of like uh
1: i just i just want to fucking pull Chief Tui aside and go like look, I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I just gotta tell you, your daughter's a real a really good kid.
0: She's a great kid. You got nothing You're to worry about right? there. Right, yeah.
1: Yeah. This is another thing I never realized. Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls is the mom. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. yes.
2: Those pipes cut through the first song. Yeah.
1: Never realized that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Her mom is Hawaiian and her dad is Filipino. Mm-hmm. Um She's, yeah, she's good. No, 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 no complaints about Nicole Scherzinger.
1: Now, this movie did win the Oscar, right? No. It didn't win?
0: No, Zootopia did. Fuck, I forgot this is the same year as Zootopia. That's the thing. It was a rare double Disney movie year, and Zootopia was this, like, sort of financial juggernaut that got very good reviews. And Moana became this weird afterthought. It's a huge, it's a great year for that category yeah. because the nominees are, mm-hmm. you know, these two movies, Kubo and the Two Strings, which like oh, yeah. has its faults uh, in terms of the cast is, you know, that, that's yes. this sort of egregious, yeah. annoying thing about. But the movie itself is, is, you know, very pretty and beautifully animated. And, you know, I, I like it a lot. I, My Life is a Zucchini, one of the top five titles of a movie ever. Is my life, which is a good movie. I re- my life
2: is an aubergine.
0: Yes, right in in uh, um, Europe. Uh, my life is a courgette. Uh, courgette. Oh, sorry, courgette. not
2: aubergine. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Um, and uh, and the red turtle, which is I don't love that movie, but it's again it's beautiful, like really really pretty. But, but that might
1: be five for five—the best that category has ever been.
0: A very good year, and Zootopia is the winner. And I like Zootopia. I uh, haven't seen it in a while, as I said. But like you know,
1: eh, this movie's on. much better. Yeah,
0: this movie's much better. Um,
1: that's so fun. I just in my mind corrected that. I didn't no, it lost.
0: That. It was nominated for two Oscars and lost both of them.
1: That's another thing. Of like, this movie did incredibly well, but did very well. Frozen was two years earlier, three years earlier and just, like, blew the doors off. So it's, like, Frozen, and then in between Frozen is Big Hero 6 and Zootopia. So it was like, oh, fuck, this is the next Disney princess movie. They have the Hamilton guy. This is gonna be, like, a juggernaut. And it was just instead a massive hit. But I think... It, it, w- it did very well. But but I think the bar was so goddamn high that it wasn't a disappointment, but people were just like, oh, I guess that did well.
0: Uh, and... Tra- I mean, seriously, you just can't underrate the weird, uh, just cultural, like atom bomb that is those three months November, December, January, like where everyone's just kind of like, oh my God, like it's like the only story. Um, so I think that's part of it too. Yeah.
1: It is also so bizarre that Zootopia was such a fucking humongous hit six months before <laughs> got elected. And it's like a movie that's pretty explicitly, clumsily arguing against. <laughs> Like, I know not directly, but it's a movie about like the government using fear mongering.
0: Griffin then yeah. f- won Zootopia. He, he, he did flipped Zootopia. it. The blue wall. He flipped Zootopia. You know, that's what, 14 electoral
1: votes? But you know how he won, right? I don't. Because he was willing to try everything,
0: <laughs> he would try everything. Um uh that, that does make me cry in Zootopia when she moves to the big city and try everything is playing on her. I like Zootopia. IPod. Yeah, 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 I do. And moving to the big city, you know, that that's the like like Ben was saying. Like this Moana is not this, but it's still the same thing. Striking you right Now look. She moves to the ocean city.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is this is the thing. We've covered this exact weekend, the box office game, too many times, and as recently as Allied. So we felt like we, we, can't, we can't just do the five again. So I suggested we do an alternate thing to commemorate the end of this miniseries, the end of Musker and Clements, which spans 30 plus years of Disney animation. I suggested we do a box office game of the top 10 Disney films. We're talking Walt Disney Studios animation.
0: Yeah. So no Pixar and no remakes. No, no fucking no. Lion King twenty nineteen, and no Disney
1: Toons. We're talking no, the well, big, obviously not no. traditional. Right? Okay.
0: So go on, give me the number one animated Disney film of all time, Griffin. Now, are you looking at a worldwide list or a domestic? No, list? it's domestic only. I can't find a worldwide okay. list. That's too complicated.
1: So, is Lion King still number one domestic?
0: No, not even close.
1: It's Frozen two, and then Lion King, or
0: Frozen? Mm. Nope. Really? Frozen two, and then Frozen. Those are the top two. Even with Lion King's 3D
1: re release included, yeah, yes. I don't know.
0: I, look, I'm going by it. Look, Griff, this this list was hard to find. Okay, so give me the numbers. Frozen two made 477 million dollars in America alone, which is a lot Jesus. of money, right? And it made like a billion two or something. Yeah. Frozen one made 400 million dollars. So those are the top two. They are just you know sizable things. And number three, Griffin. Is not Lion King? Nope. Number three is Zootopia? Is Zootopia.
1: The movie about a Zootopia. What if there was a Zootopia? Zootopia did like 360. What did it end up at?
0: 341. Wow. And number four is The Lion King, which made 312. Now, obviously, The Lion King made that in 1994. So if you adjust for inflation, The Lion King, yes, yes, was, you know, an unstoppable force in its own right. But still.
1: Multiple re-releases, yes. But
0: what's number five?
1: Number five would be, okay, so 312. So what's the thing that's closest to that number? Aladdin is low twos. Do you want a
0: hint? Yes. This movie ends up at 260, right? Yes. And the the hint is it's this movie. Okay. It's Moana. It's Moana. Moana is the, the fifth most successful Disney movie, unadjusted wow. for inflation. Wow. 248.
1: Long tail, too. You were looking at the box office. It did, like, four and a half times its opening weekend. Five times its opening weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, yes, it, it had good legs. But the thing is, it's just also, you know, the model changed. And these things became more than just kids' movies. And everyone went to see them. And, like, you know, that's just the difference between a Moana and a Little Mermaid, as well as Little Mermaid did, you know? Yes. um, Like, what's number six, Griffin? It's another of this, you know, the last decade.
1: Right. It's not Big Hero 6, is it? It's
0: Big Hero 6, which, like, I saw and enjoyed, but I couldn't tell you a damn thing about that movie except that there's a big pillow robot, and I enjoyed I enjoyed watching him. Did you see Big Hero 6, Lanica?
2: I did. I also can't remember anything other than it was really cute.
0: Yeah, it's cute, and they're, they're heroes. His dad or brother is dead? There's a dead Someone relative. Died. The brother yeah. dies. The big brother dies.
2: It was sad early on. That's all I remember. Uh,
0: number seven, Griffin, is a movie we discussed on this miniseries.
1: So, n- number seven's Aladdin, number eight yes. is
0: Tangled. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, no, I'm sorry. No, not, not, no, Tangled is nine. What's right above wow. it? Just a tick above it. Another recent movie we've discussed it on this podcast. Ben's Ben's a fan. Oh, is it? Is it? Ralph 2 or Ralph 1? It's Ralph 2. He broke okay. the internet.
1: Man, just what a dominant run this has been for them.
0: And then Ralph 1 is 10.
1: Yeah. So that's
0: it. that's the thing, you know, it's just the, the you know, recency rules. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, because then Tarzan is the next one, which was a huge hit. Kind of forget about that. Uh right, and right. then go ahead, Ben, sorry.
3: Are they going to make a third Ralph?
0: They should. I don't know what on earth they would make it about. I mean, he,
3: if he needs a new friend, I'll hang.
0: <laughs> ben really likes Wreck-It Ralph, like specifically. Like he loves the character Ralph.
2: Love, he, his face lit up when you mentioned
0: it. Yeah. Uh,
1: the, the Ralph trilogy, of course. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph breaks the internet and Ralph meets
0: Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Ralph just hangs out with Ben. Yeah. The next one after that is Beauty and the Beast after Tarzan. And then Lilo and Stitch. Yeah. Big hit. Then Pocahontas. Then does dinosaur count? Are we counting dinosaur? Dinosaur counts. Dinosaur counts. Yeah. What if there was a dinosaur? Uh, And then uh, Mulan. Yeah. Wow. And then Bolt. Yeah. And there you go. And now I'm done.
1: I mean, and obviously the uh overseas numbers just like yeah, explode that, that, for these. No, 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 no. Things, but I'm just right. saying for the later movies, I mean, they were always big hits internationally, but this recent wave of the last ten years, the the worldwide numbers have just been ridiculous. I mean, it's like uh it, it really has been a like a third renaissance for them where it's just mm-hmm. they kind of what they've won the Oscar three times, they've had Yeah, they like, they
0: sort of began to outstrip Pixar. Yeah. Yeah, they would start and, winning and, that Oscar, the animated yeah. feature Oscar. And, and whereas Pixar was like pumping out sequels and people were getting a little sort of disillusioned Yeah, uh, with the, the Pixar thing. Right. I mean, you know, the Pixar will win. They won for Coco. They won for Toy Story 4. That was sort of a week year. But though.
1: they've all been huge hits. Um, and I feel like people were surprised that Toy Story 4 won. I think people were resigned to the idea that Frozen 2 was going to win just because Disney had been so dominant, but uh, <laughs> Toy Story 4 is better.
0: Frozen 2 wasn't even nominated.
1: It wasn't even nominated?
0: No. Hey, it was not. so
1: what was the thing that people thought was going to win?
0: They didn't. They thought Toy Story 4 was going to win. But I mean, but like that, Frozen 2 obviously early on looked like the juggernaut. Yeah, but no. What in were the, the end... other
1: nominees that year? Okay.
0: How to Train Your Dragon 3, uh-huh. uh, Klaus, Klaus on Netflix, uh Missing Link, the uh, like a movie, and I lost my body, which was a the critical fave, uh, which is a good movie. Um, those were the nominees, and this year, God knows what the nominees will be. What a weird year! Yeah, twenty twenty Oscars, they're going to be not a bummer at all.
1: No, they're going to be uh, normal. I just, God, I I just I I'm I'm very terrified by how quickly people have gone back to like, no, but we need to do the award shows in person. Like, there are so many ways to do an award show during a pandemic. I'm not saying the Emmys were perfect, but they at least were interesting in trying to figure out how to do it responsibly.
0: Yeah, they did some stuff that was kind of interesting. And they don't know what they're doing. They but don't then, know But then, like, it's the, be
1: whatever it was, the Country Music Awards, they were like, no, we think it's good if we, like, test everybody and then put them all in an auditorium together. And then, like, 80 people got sick.
0: Yeah. Well, don't do that. No good. Very bad. Don't do it. All right, Griffin, the only one, the only other thing we got to do is we got to rank the Clements and Muskers. There's only seven.
1: Yeah, I'm ready to do it.
0: Go ahead. You should. Well, no, I'll go first because I feel like mine are boring. Okay. All right. I'm number one, Little Mermaid. Number two, Aladdin. Number three, Moana. Number four, Hercules. Number five, Princess and the Frog. Number six, Great Mouse Detective. Number seven, but a worthy final entry is Treasure Planet. Like, I don't want that to feel like the cellar dweller.
1: Wow.
0: Like, I like all these movies. Uh,
1: You're going to, I think, be outraged by the list I'm about to count on.
0: No, I don't care. I'm ready. Uh, Number
1: one, after this talk, I'm only feeling twice as empowered to do it. Uh, Moana, baby. She's a good kid. Right. She is Moana. I just like how many times in the movie she has to sing her own name.
2: She is Moana of Motunui.
0: It gets me when she does it at the end. The the big. Yes. Yes. There's
1: rarely a movie in which a character's name is said this often, and I think no other movie where a character's name is sung this often. Yeah, Uh, Moana, number one, number two.
0: I think I know what it is. Yeah, Hercules. You love Hercules.
1: I
2: love Hercules.
1: I Herc won me back, baby. I was out. Do you like
0: Hercules? Are you a Hercules fan, Lenica? Have you seen Hercules since you were a kid?
2: I haven't seen it in a long time, but I did love I loved Hercules. When
0: it, I was it's a kid. good. It's really clever and fun. Like it's I, worth
1: worth a rewatch. And it looks so cool. The designs are so good. Uh number three, Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Then I'd say number four, I'm gonna say Aladdin. Yeah. Don't get too cute. Treasure Planet. Uh-huh. Great mouse detective.
0: Wow, you put frog at the bottom. Well, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Frog's the one the only one I don't really like.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I don't dislike it, but I don't really like it.
0: Like, do you like Princess and the Frog? I'm sorry, I'm just bouncing all of these off you right now. You don't have to have an opinion on them.
2: I've always felt guilty for not seeing it because I feel like everyone I know has seen that movie. Good. But I've seen Aladdin like at least a million times. At least before the age of five. Uh,
0: but that's it. Yeah, no, I knew Hercules would be your either one or two, Griff. I know you love Hercules.
2: Yeah. I
1: mean, I, I do think Little Mermaid's kind of undeniable, but I have to I have to be honest to what I hear in my in my heart. I have to listen to the heart of the ocean. It tells me Moana's number one, Hercules is number two, Little Mermaid's number three.
0: That's fine. That's OK. Uh,
1: we've, we had already announced our next miniseries. We had said that earlier because it's a little harder to find these movies, but uh, we've now uh, finished out Musker and Clement's. Next week, you will hear us do the Blinky Awards, if all goes according to plan. We will not be holding a ceremony in person. I want to make that very clear. We (laughs) are not going to make the same mistakes that the Country Music Awards did. That having been said, Darius Rucker will be hosting, schedules permitting.
0: I love Darius Rucker. That sounds great. I would love to work with Darius Rucker.
1: What if I went on cameo and tried to figure out how much it would cost to have Darius Rucker introduce each category.
0: There's no one I love enough to pay for a cameo. No one on earth. Not even Colin Farrell. Like, I just, no. No, that's okay.
1: Tax-deductible. We're a business.
0: (laughs) I understand.
1: We're paying him as a performer. We're supporting the arts. We're trying to keep the arts alive. (laughs) But yes, uh, next week, we're closing out the month of March with the Blanky Awards, and then, of course, April is May for the entire month of April. We are watching the four films of Elaine May. So get to work on that. Try and track them down. New Leaf, available on a Blu-ray from Olive Films. Heartbreak Kid, hard to find. Do some searching. Mikey and Nikki, available from Criterion. Uh, Ishtar, available from Sony. Some of them have been streaming at different points in time. But uh, we're giving you the advance warning.
3: Hottie and casty.:
1: Yeah, I guess that's what it's called, right?
3: April is May?
1: April is May. Then this, and let me just explain this, because, uh, Lenica, you're hearing this for the first time. Yes. Uh, the joke is that the filmmaker we are covering next month, her name is Elaine May. That is her, oh, her surname.
2: Okay. Not the month.
1: Well, but then here's this. The, well, this is where the comedy comes in. Okay. There's oh sort God. of a wry twist Griffin, here. Griffin, I have to which is,
3: <laughs> No, no. Keep going. Keep going.
2: I want to know. I want to understand.
1: She's only made four films, tragically. But in this one circumstance, it works out to our advantage that her filmography is limited because there are four weeks in a month and the month is April and we can do all four May movies in April and thus April, the name of the month, is May, the name of the director. Hold for laughter.
0: (laughs) Okay. Keep holding, (laughs) Grape holding. <laughs> good keep good, holding, good, good. keep <laughs> holding, keep <laughs> holding. And if you in the edit can just
1: place in a ton of laughter there, <laughs> because I know people listening at home are going to be laughing, but I want them to not feel alone. They're going to feel more encouraged to laugh if they hear other
2: people laughing. Sure. David is massaging his temple as he listens.
0: Classic, classic David move. The temple massage.
1: Uh, Lenica, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you. I feel we have thoroughly considered the coconut.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: I think this was a pretty fair consideration. Mm -hmm. The meat, the tree, the leaves. fibers. FYC, the coconut. All of it. Uh, Is there anything you want to plug or direct TPL towards Lenica? What
0: am I supposed to say? The Atlantic.
2: Read The Atlantic. Oh, The Atlantic. Our workplace. <laughs> our
0: workplace. We love Read it.
2: Read <laughs> David Sims at the. Oh, Atlantic.
0: shut up! Get no. out of here, you maniac!
2: <laughs> Read my BTS stories at the. Read Atlantic. your
0: BTS <laughs> stories. You've been you've been on some pods. I feel like we, we, we were just talking about that, uh, right? Uh, I just
2: I live minutes. on Twitter. Just
0: you're on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Lenica. Lenica Cruz. Uh, Lenica. We've worked together. I'm bad at math. Seven years now? It's coming up. It's six and a half. Six
2: and a half years. Yeah.
3: Okay. Well, you got to reveal a Sim secret.
0: Okay.
2: What do I have? I'm annoying. I'm,
0: I'm precious and thin skinned. I don't know. Like, what's, <laughs> what's a secret to reveal about me?
1: <laughs> Lenica, I'm going to do the outro for the show while you think on a Sim secret and I'll let you close out the episode, but I want to be a juicy one. Just one Sim secret.
2: Oh, no, you definitely know more Sim Secrets than I do. That's the thing.
1: I don't know about that. Uh, I think, think on this for a minute. Uh, folks, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. The Great American Novel for our theme song. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media. Thank you to our editing team, Alex Barron and AJ McKeon. Uh, tune in next week, as we said, for Blanky Awards. April will be May after that. If you don't get it, it's a play on words because the director <laughs> in the month. Um, go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy shirts. And you can go to our Patreon Blank Check Special Features where we're trekking through the Star Trek movies. And as always, Lenica, can you please gift us with one Sims secret
2: I don't have a sim secret. All I can think is I've missed David and I want the pandemic to be over so I can come to New York and we can hang out. Uh
1: David, I ask that you do the uh the echo of the line. You know what it's gonna be. Okay. Okay, ready? <sighs>
3: yep.
0: <Yeah.
1: laughs> Consider the coconuts!
0: Consider its leaves. Wait, no, I, I, no. wait. What am oh, I God. supposed to do? You're supposed I don't to know
3: just what you don't just say, want say me consider to do. the
1: coconuts. Forget it. Forget it.
3: David, we practiced this so much before we started. Come on. Wait. I. I guess
0: they. I, I guess no. I, I'm not echoing. I can't I'm not going to let you say trunks and the leaves. That's my fucking moment to shine. Yeah, that's that's what I was confused by. No. You. Okay.
3: You, okay. All right. Listen. Let's just take it from the top.